Blog Talk Radio.
was the birth of our nation. And uh, it all came about because uh, a group of men stood together in ranks in order to safeguard their freedom of literacy. Not to, not to start a war. They were standing there in protest because they wanted their rights under the Constitution. It was the British Constitution, mind you. But they wanted their rights under the Constitution. And because of them, we now have this nation. I'd like for you guys to think about that uh, as we go through the show tonight. Because of just a handful, just a handful of men who stood in ranks. And I'm not going to say that that women weren't there, because the women were making sure they were supplied all day. We'll talk more about, about that during the show, too. But because of a handful of men, just a handful, uh, between 60 and 70 guys, we now have the nation that we have today. Now, I told you, I think, last week, I, I got on my soapbox and I was yelling at you about uh, about how every at every dangerous point that this nation has faced, it has been a determined, tiny handful of determined men who have saved this nation. It has never been uh, a, a, a huge majority of the folks. It has never been a 50% or, uh, of the population of America, or 40, or 30, or 20, or 10, or 5, or even 1% of the American population that has saved the nation. It has been a tiny, tiny handful of men, 3,200 men out of 2 million, out of a population of 2 million, 3,200 men, Change the course of events in America, and because of that, they change the course of events of the world, the whole world, because of what they did. And every time that we have faced uh, peril, every time that this nation has balanced on the edge of a knife blade, it has been a small, a tiny, tiny group of determined men who have changed our nation's histories. The future, their their future, our history. So I want you to think about that as we go through the show too. <clears throat> Appleseed's a small group now, but we're getting bigger. We're getting bigger every weekend. We we'll get bigger. How big do we have to be to to change the course? of American history. And I, I gotta tell you, I don't think it's very big. I think that we can do it with a small but extremely committed and determined uh group of folks. I think that the men and women involved in Appleseed I, I don't think this, I know this. I know that though we are small in number, we are a very determined group, and that the determined group of men and women now involved in Appleseed will at some point in the near future change the course of American history, and in doing so will change the course of world history. I know this. 
All right. Uh, well, I don't know what I did. Somehow I managed to dump the... Uh, oh, no, here it is. Uh, I don't know how I did this either. Somehow I, I uh, touched something with my computer and moved the the uh, chat room window to a completely different window instead of being in the new tabs. All right, so I'll I'll try and uh, uh, I'll try and make sure I monitor this, um, but I'll be jumping back and forth. So, uh, uh, and uh, let me also tell you that Fred will be joining us later on this evening. And uh, I don't know what is going. On. I see that somebody said that uh, they didn't get uh, an email about the show. You know, when I checked my email, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have one either, so I don't know if I have one yet or not, but I didn't have one uh, before the show began, which is unusual because you like get one, uh, I get one fairly quickly, and uh, no, I still don't have a, I still don't have a show reminder from, uh, by uh, the uh, mailing system. Usually I get one pretty quickly because I, when I look at the the uh, mass mailing system, it goes by, uh, I guess, whenever somebody joins up in the program, they it kind of keeps a uh, a timeline by virtue of the way that they their of their emails by the way they joined up. So because because I'm on the very first line of emails, I usually get mine. Uh, you know, first, and uh, and I still don't have one, so I apologize. I don't know what uh, I don't know what is causing this, but uh, I hope that uh, folks will tune in nonetheless. <clears throat> All right, uh, at the beginning of each show, we're gonna, this show is going to start the same way that uh, we usually do at the beginning of each show. We uh, we keep time. We keep the beginning of the show open so that uh, so that folks can call in and say thanks to the uh, say thanks to their local crew members, folks who've been doing a good job, folks who have been uh, we shot to rise on the standards, folks who have been promoting the program. Uh, uh, you know, anything like that. We'd like for you guys to call in and uh, and say thanks to the local crew members. If somebody is uh, uh, beginning a commercial venture, then we would like for them to call in and let us know. We'll try and give them some airtime too. We would also like folks to tonight to call in and talk about uh, what they have, what they plan on doing for the Appleseed Signature Weekend for our Patriots Day weekend shoot coming up. If you guys are going to do something, uh, something different, if you're going to hand out something, if you're going to do something, whatever it is, call in and let us know because uh, there's still time for somebody else to maybe uh, do the same thing. If you've got a great idea, if you're doing something special for the weekend, be sure and call and let us know. The number is. Uh, Three four seven three zero eight eight seven nine zero. 347 308 
347-308-8790. And uh, you call in, we'll get you uh, we'll get you on the air, and uh, you can uh, say thanks to somebody. You can promote a commercial venture, or you can uh, uh, ask a question if you have one, or you can let everybody else know what you're doing uh, for the upcoming Patriots Day weekend. And like I said uh, a little bit earlier, Fred will be calling in uh, near the end of the show. He's going to talk about uh, uh, about how how he would like to see things run this coming weekend. And uh, it's always good to get the info straight from the uh, from the boss's mouth. So uh, be sure and stay tuned in until the end of the show. I asked him to call in about uh, 8.30 Central Time. And then uh, he can talk about... Uh, uh, about the way things, the way you'd like to see you guys uh, run things for the weekend, some helpful hints and stuff. Some of the information is stuff that he's been putting out at the uh, AIBCs uh, that he's been uh, doing, traveling around the country and doing. And uh, a lot of stuff is just comments and stuff, but we want to be sure that uh, that uh, you guys are doing your final uh, prepping work and getting everything ready for the upcoming events this weekend. So be sure that they... Uh, Tuned in until the end of the show to listen, and uh, if uh, uh, call screener, if that is uh, somebody that wants to get on the air, it'll be great. So that uh, so that I can finish uh, finish uh, uh, something I'm trying to do here with one hand, trying to type with one hand. And uh, uh, okay, we've got a we've got uh, Dean who's called in didactic, and uh, we're going to bring him on the air, and he's going to talk for a few seconds about uh, about uh, his upcoming event in Smithville. Welcome to the show, Dean. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, <laughs> well, I was you thought that you thought that just because. Uh, the call screener had written just listening by your name that I wasn't going to open your mic, didn't you? Uh, well, then I went ahead and hit the button again. Um, <laughs> well, let's go tomorrow. I uh, set up backers, set up the fire line, and get surprised by morning. You're what now? I said, uh, I'm just going to Smithville tomorrow afternoon to set up backers in the firing line Then hope we get uh, get a decent crowd Saturday morning. Uh, since that appeared on the forum late, uh, we got a small number of pre-registrations, but uh, I know John and I have been talking to as many people as we can, so we'll try to draw a crowd anyway. Um, Is there any, uh, any pre-registered uh, folks for Smithville yet? As of Monday afternoon, there was only one, and I've been right. in touch with him by email. But um, I've talked to several people lately who've given me uh, squishy commitments, so by, I'm hoping some of them will come through. Um, and it's uh, the Smithville venue is pleasant. It's um, it's easy to get to, uh, so I'm. Uh, and it's a pleasant place to shoot. I've even got some shade for us because it's likely to be warm in this part of the world Saturday and Sunday. Well, where do you get the shade? Because uh, I've been to Smithville a couple of times. There's no shade there. Oh, you mean like a canopy or something? 
Yeah, well, yeah, I've got idea. a couple canopies now. I'm going to take and uh, now that I'm a gentleman of leisure, I've got Friday afternoon to set up. Well, that's uh, that is a very good idea to have some uh, some cover because uh, yeah, the last few days have been very hot and uh, and uh, it's probably going to be hot tomorrow. Now I know that. Uh, a lot of places are forecasting rain, and uh, uh, I never want to. I never want to curse the rain, but I'm hoping that it will just. Uh, uh, I'm hoping it will bypass just tomorrow. Well, I don't know how many I'm talking to across the country, but I will tell all of them that people in central Texas are not going to knock rain for a long time. <laughs> Even if it comes on an apple seed morning. Right. Well, you guys have any uh, any plans on doing anything special for tomorrow? You know, when the, uh, the simultaneous uh, volley is running? Uh, well, of course, we are planned for that. And I got a set of the... Uh, fancy laminated maps that I haven't talked from yet. So that'll be my trial run on then. Uh, this is for further down the road. I'm scheduled to speak at the Austin Woods and Workers Club and their monthly meeting in the middle of the summer. So this will be a good trial run to make sure I don't get bogged down pointing at the map in telling the three strike stories. Right. Uh, I do think the map adds to the stories, but it's easy to get bogged down and give a geography lesson and miss the main point, which is about the decisions various people made based on various bits of incomplete information that they got as the uh, as Colonel Smith's attachment moved west. Right. Well, good luck, good skill, Godspeed uh, to you tomorrow. And uh, uh, Lab Rat's going to be with you there too, right? That's correct. Okay, I, well, I've been in touch with him. I don't know what he's doing from his job, but uh, I've got all afternoon. So if uh, he does get tied up, we can still be set up and ready to receive shooters as they come in Saturday morning. Okay, great. All right, well, thank you so much, and uh, and I'm not going to hang up on you. I'm just going to move you back to uh, just listening, and you can keep listening to the show, all right? Thank you, Dean. Yeah, good afternoon, good afternoon. All righty. Okay. Uh well, while they were doing that, I tried to run over real quick and post on the forum that the show was going on because I, uh, I had, uh, I failed to do that. I thought that's what I, I thought I had already done it whenever I had done the, uh, the mail out, but I looked and I didn't see it, so, so there's a good chance that I closed the, uh, closed the window. 
before I did it, before I hit it. A lot of times I'm in a rush and I'll hit the, a button submit or post or whatever, and uh, as soon as I see that the screen change, I'll hit close so that I can either walk out or go into some of the business or something. And uh, sometimes it doesn't do what I'd like it to do. It does not submit to my authority. Now, I see that in the uh, uh, in the chat uh, that uh, the call screen has put in that uh, Blue Feather and Toss Clock, who have the handmade soap shop that they have uh, managed to develop a medicated burn cream. And uh, I would think, out, you know, they... Oh, he also said they've moved to Taos. So they will be able to do the Whittington uh, shoots more frequently. Well, that's great. And uh, they've got a medicated burn cream, which is... Uh, I've got to get some of that, too. Got, I've got to tell you, Blue Feather and Taos Glock have done an absolutely uh, fantastic job in making their soap. Uh, and I imagine they could make a great uh, deal of money by, I don't know, building some factory and uh, and mass producing it. I don't know if it would stay the same, though. Right now, it's just uh, an absolutely fantastic product. You can get to it by going to bluefeather.bizhosting.com if you want to try some of the soap. Don't forget about... Uh, uh, Desert Eagle Farms for uh, your food needs and uh, he's also handling the Mill Dot Master now which is a pretty fantastic uh, uh, and inexpensive ranging device that you can use you can carry it with you remember Backwoods Home Magazine BackwoodsHome.com Backwoods Home has supported us uh, for quite a while now. Uh, the magazine itself has been doing it. When I talked to, uh, uh, I can't think of his name right now, but I talked to him and his son uh, at the Dallas Expo. And I had his son on because uh, the uh, the owner of the magazine, you know, I almost said it that time, but I didn't. The owner of the magazine told me, he said, I can't, I can't, I, he has radio stage fight. He says, I cannot get next to a telephone or a microphone and knowing that there's a lot of people that are listening. He goes, I can't do it. He said, I, I disintegrate. He goes, but my son can. And uh, remember, I brought him. I've got his son on the radio show when I was doing the expo. And Backwoods Home Magazine has been very, very kind to the Appleseed Project. And they also host uh, Masad Ayub's column in Backwoods Home Magazine, and uh, Mathad has been very kind to the program. He's uh, written some great pieces about Appleseed, and he's uh, he's been uh, uh, a great supporter of the program, and uh, so we want to patronize those that patronize us, and uh, let's see, the, the website Jimmy's uh, website, that's Desert Eagle, is uh, Desert Eagle Desert Eagle Farms dot my foods my efoods dot com. Desert Eagle Farms dot my efoods dot com. Hmm. Man, that could have been a simpler address than that. Something. Uh that's one of the reasons I like RWVA.org. 
you know, rwva.org. That's it. Bang. Done. Uh, and uh, Jimmy does the uh, uh, the storable long-term food. He does the mill that master. And then uh, he and his, uh, his partners do the Christmas for our troops. And I think you can find that at christmasforourtroops.com. So anytime you can support uh, any of the folks from uh, that are Appleseed Brothers and Sisters and, sisters and Flynn, please do so. We want to uh, lift up and support our friends. And uh, let's see, the you can get a Mildot Master from Jimmy by sending him an email at Jimmy, J-I-M-I, at hdc-nm.com. Jimmy at hdc-nm.com. And uh, he said they were going for 30 35 bucks on the web. He will send you one uh, uh, for 25 bucks and free shipping. All right? I mean, you can save 5 bucks, and you can help an Appleseed Brothers sister. So please uh, take a look at that. Take a look at the Mill.Master. I don't know. I think you can just uh, Google Mill.Master, and we'll show you what it is. It's like a, a little bit larger than a 3 by 5 uh, card, and it has a sliding graph in it that uh, it gives you more information than you could really use. And uh, it is also pegged at one corner so that you can also get the information you need for uh, shooting uphill or downhill. It will give you your elevation, uh, your adjustments, et cetera, for shooting uphill or downhill. Also, an, another friend to Appleseed, to the Rossman Radio Show, is uh, in the rabbit hole com. They've been on the show. They're in urban survival. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Paul Scrinner has written, saying, Urban Self-Reliance, a need of yours. And check out our friends from uh, www.intherabbithole, one word, .com. And they've taken uh, survival from the standpoint of, uh, of, you know, 50% of Americans. And that's the folks that live in the cities. If you live in the city, if you live in an urban environment, and uh, you, you will have some unique needs, uh, as opposed to folks that that live uh, rurally. You know, you'll have some different needs than them. Not all of them, but some of them will be different. Some of the considerations that you'll have to take into account in order to, uh, uh, I won't say assure your chances of survival, I'll just say to give you the best chances for survival possible in uh in the many different scenarios that there are where you could uh where you would need to to survive some type of economic social or natural disaster all right that's in the rabbit hole dot com now they also put out a uh they have a blog and they put out a podcast and if you're a podcast junkie like I am. This is just a thing for you because uh, I'll tell you right now, uh, because I am a podcast junkie, and that's because I can't get AM radio uh, in most of my tractors. I can't get it. I don't know if it has to do with the 
a large amount of steel or whatever's going on. I can't get uh, any kind of radio. And usually I'm right at, uh, I guess, at a bad location to get radio. Now, I can get uh, radio from Mexico perfectly uh, once the sun goes down, but I can't get uh, good AM radio. So I uh, I am a junkie podcast. And one of the pod- things I found about podcasts is that it's hard to find a good podcast. I'm telling you right now, somebody uh, somebody who is capable of putting out a good podcast and then uh, figuring out some uh, some good way to monetize it, uh, the world would be yours because right now there are tons of podcasts out there, but most of them uh, are just chafe and uh, and a waste of listening time unless you're just trying to blot out the monotony of the the uh, the tractor engine noise as you're going in uh, smaller and smaller concentric circles. <laughs> so, in the matter of all, has a good podcast. You and let me take this time to tell you, you can download uh, episodes of Rifleman Radio uh, by going to iTunes and uh, asking for it. I'll also let you know that uh, that Mark Martinez, Alonso One, and myself. Have partnered up. We we spent several years now teaching people to shoot. We've been shooting all of our lives, uh, and uh, and we have a lot of experience to bring to the table. And we formed a company called Battle Road. And Battle Road USA uh, is a company that is dedicated to teaching you the techniques, the skills, the tactics, the mindsets that you will need in order to defend yourself and protect your loved ones. And we do that with a series of different courses. We've got uh, basic handgun. We've got uh, handgun one and two. Uh, and actually, the only handgun course that's a basic course is basic handgun. That's just a four-hour, I think, a $50 course. The rest of these courses that we're running are not baby courses. Just because it says handgun one, it is in no way a baby course. As a matter of fact, uh, my partner said that he went to, uh, he was at a course that was, I believe, run by one of the SWAT folks. And they were saying, okay, here's our advanced course. And they started they started teaching folks about moving offline during their draw and stuff like that. And, when, and Mark and I were looking at each other going, are you, are you serious? Because... We teach this in our level one handgun course, and we're going to teach you. Uh, we're going to teach you a great deal about uh, about defending yourself with a handgun. All right? This isn't apple seed. This is a whole different beast. And the uh, level one and level two courses are usually done back to back, Saturday and Sunday. And I'll usually run about a thousand rounds or so for the two days. And uh, which is good because in order for you to become proficient and understand your firearm, understand what it does, how it works, how you work, how you shoot after uh, 800 rounds, then you got to shoot 1,000. That teaches you uh, what your firearm does, what you do, how you do it, and you get a lot of good, uh, a lot of good trigger time. Uh, I'll tell you, too, that we're just now at the end of finishing a brand-new shoot house. It will be ready for the May 5th and May 6th 
uh, level one and two courses. <laughs> now, and don't get excited because in level one and level two, we don't teach any tactics, all right? We're, there's too much other stuff that we've got to get out of the way before we can start talking to you about tactics or or headshots or anything else or cars, defending your vehicle, etc. There's too much stuff that we've got that you have to know before you can do that. That's what you're going to get in level one and level two. Nonetheless, at the end of the level one, level two courses, we still uh, we still want folks to experience a shoot house because uh, number one, it's just fun. It's just fun to go and and test your skills and see if what you have learned, what you've been doing during the day, if it is going to give you an advantage in a situation like that. So we're not teaching tactics on the May fifth and sixth. We're just teaching. We're teaching you a whole slew of other stuff, and then you're going to go in the shoot house, and you're going to uh, you're mainly going to be focusing on your accuracy because if you're shooting at a target on the firing line, and you're blasting away, and you're shooting, uh, you know, you're drawing from concealed, and you're shooting at uh, the speed that we want you to shoot at, which is three to four rounds per second in the center of mass. You're shooting like that on the firing line. And uh, and one slips out of the silhouette, and it's no big deal. It's like, well, I got the rest of them, man. I bet he's going to drop anyway. When you get to the shoot house and uh, you face a target there, and that target is pointing a pistol at you, and you begin shooting, and if you're if you're not sharp enough to see that he is standing in a hallway too with a group of 35, 40 other school kids, and you have to realize that every time you squeeze that trigger, it has consequences. If you cannot put all your rounds into the bad guy, you let one slip by, it's, it's got nowhere to go but into one of the good guys. So you'll have to uh, develop an understanding of speed, proficiency, and accuracy. You'll have to under, start beginning to understand your angles. What do my angles mean to me? And, uh, and you're going to get that at a Battle Road weekend. Now, you can get in contact with us by going to BattleRoadUSA.com, BattleRoadUSA.com. And we look forward to uh, hearing from you. If you'd like to come to an event uh, for the May 5th and 6th courses, uh, I, you can contact us. I, I don't know if we had any reduced rates left or not for Appleseed folks. I know I can tell you this, I know for a fact that after the May fifth and sixth course we can't do it because the government is catching up to us as far as accounting and everything else. So we're gonna have to after that it's gonna be full price courses and uh, and everything has to be done according to the account. And, you know, sometimes I think about that. You know, when you first start doing something and everything is, first of all, it seems like it's going to be really simple. Hey, let's get together. Let's uh, start a company and let's teach people how to shoot. And, hey, how hard can it be? What what can it involve? And then all of a sudden, there's this huge uh, landslide of insurance and uh uh, and 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 you name it, and everything, and accounting, and on and on, and taxes, and oh my gosh, targets and time, and uh, uh, four thousand uh, cubic meters of gravel, and blah blah blah, 
and and it's a big kind of barrier that you got to climb. If you're really determined to do something, then you have to be determined to cross that barrier. That's the same thing that happens at Appleseed. You know, at Appleseed, when we first started out here, everything was so easy, and it was easy for everybody because it was a pretty wild and woolly setup in the beginning. Uh, you know, it was kind of like the Wild West, and and people got uh, people were made instructors, and they were told to go out, go ye forth and conquer the world, and that's what they were doing. And then as we grew and we started being encumbered by more and more rules and regulations and insurance and lawyers and legal and accounting, uh, it just got harder. And a lot of folks are unwilling to make uh, any of the changes. They're unwilling to accept uh, a lot of the changes and stuff. And, you know, in some cases I don't blame them because... You know, it's not the uh, it's not the same thing that I was doing when I started. But the other side of that is, is that the message is still the same. We're still trying to have an effect on the future of this nation, and I got to tell you, I feel like we're in a in a damn race right now, like. Uh, you know, like uh, some of those old movies. You know, you see where the uh, where the folks are in the old uh, Apache pickup, and they've got their they got the accelerator mashed to the floor, and they're they're flying along on that dirt track right beside the railroad train, right right beside the train, and they're they're crossing up ahead, and you can see them. They're trying to make it. The train is looking at them, going, "What the hell are they doing?" And they're all uh, they're all yelling and screaming, and they wrench the wheel at the last second, and there's a cloud of dust and a squealing of tires, and the, the truck shoots across the track in front of the train, and they make it. Hallelujah, they make it. And that's how I see us right now. And I pray that we make it. I pray that we make it. Because i got to tell you, uh, the stuff that is going on in our nation now, if we don't make it, if Appleseed doesn't make it, if the rest of the organizations that are trying to do close to what we're doing, if they don't make it, this this nation is doomed. This nation is doomed. When I open up the paper and I see... Photographs. Now, I didn't get this from the paper. Let me tell you that right now because the papers don't carry this. The papers don't carry the things they don't want you to see. I had to dig for it. And uh, I had to dig for it in. Uh, I see I've gotten a. I guess my, my chat room has. Uh, function. You anyway, had to dig for it on Google, and I see an article talking about uh, the Department of Natural Resources in, I believe, was it Michigan? Anyway, they've got the Department of Natural Resources. Would you believe that these guys have like SWAT teams? 
uh, like the same thing like with the libraries and on and on that they all that everybody now has SWAT teams and the Department of Natural Resources was raiding a farm because it had uh, pigs that the government felt were not the right kind of pigs for the people of Michigan. I don't understand that. How is it the government's business? What kind of pigs that the people are raising? Because they were raising these pigs, free-range pigs, instead of pigs. Now, let me tell you something else, too. You know, when you buy a pig, <clears throat> when you buy pork at the store, uh, there's almost a 100% chance of it's white pork that uh, it has come from one of the confinement operations. And what that means is you're buying the meat of a pig. Once that pig goes into its uh, confinement, they don't come out. They put it in a box. It's the size of the pig. And then that pig gets fed and fed and fed. And at a certain point, uh, they uh, they take the pig and they butcher it. All right? And uh, uh, the difference between the two, between a, like a, a free-roaming pig and a... Uh, in a confined figure, uh, as far as the meat, you know, is not that different. As far as the looks, it's not that different. And it's not the government's business to be telling everyone what they're doing, everyone what they should do. And yet they are everywhere. Every single thing that's done in America, then the government is wants to get involved and tell you what you should or shouldn't be doing. And they say they have the right to do that. The only thing that's going to stop them, that's ever going to stop them from doing that, is you. The only way they will ever stop doing it is if enough of you say, stop doing this. That's the only way. If you sit back and you let it happen, if you let these encroachments keep coming, it's going to be just like my front yard, you know, uh, with nut grass. The nut grass started coming in, and I said, well, it's only over on this little corner over here. It's only on like a 1,000 square feet. You know, it's just a little tiny piece of it. It's no big deal. And the next thing I knew, there's uh, 100,000 square feet of nut grass. Everything's gone except the nut grass. It took everything away, everything. And uh, it didn't do it by coming in and screaming and yelling, I'm going to take over your yard. It just did it. Slowly, little by little, without me paying attention, it just did it uh, in the middle of the night, during the day. And pretty soon that's all there is now, just nut grass. And that's what's happening in America today. Every little corner of our lives is being encroached upon by the government. And... Uh, the only way it's going to stop is by you. Okay. Uh, blog talk just to dump my chat. I'm trying to open it back up, but uh, we'll see if it comes back or not. I don't know. Anyway, uh, if it doesn't and you have something in chat that you want me to see, uh, just uh, uh, either put it in the chat and the call screen will see it and he'll let me know. 
or give a call into the station, 347-308-8790. All right, now what I want to tell you about is the events of uh, of April 19th, 1775 now. <laughs> uh, in, in one way, you know, it, it's, it was very obviously true that nobody in 1775 wanted uh, war. But in another way, in in a parallel way, it's, it was almost equally clear that both the Americans and the British were just aching for a showdown. They just, they were just... They were just itching for it, both sides, looking for a showdown. Now, the quarrels between the colonies and the mother country uh, had dragged on so long that everybody's patience was worn paper thin. And and some kind of an explosion, was it was just inevitable. You know, I've talked to you guys before about how when you have two factions that uh, – that each have different goals, and those goals uh, happen to to include the others. Each of them includes the others. Then, at some point, there's going there has to be a reckoning, and and it doesn't just start. No wars ever just start without any forewarning or anything else. It's just it never happens. Always, somebody knows it's going to happen. Even in at Pearl Harbor, yes, it was a surprise that they hit us at Pearl Harbor. And, but it, it wasn't. It was a surprise that they hit us on that date in Pearl Harbor. Let me put it that way. It wasn't a surprise that we could be attacked, that we could be at war with Japan at any time. Uh, the American forces were almost constant war footing at that time. Uh, it wasn't a complete surprise to the Soviet Union that Hitler ran Operation Barbarossa. Now, <laughs> well, you can say it wasn't a complete surprise, but uh, in some ways it was. I'm sure that uh, Stalin thought that his uh, that his treaty with Hitler was going to be honored, but at the same time, he was uh, he was getting as many troops together. He was making as many tanks and arms as he could. So I've got to believe that it wasn't a complete surprise. There are no wars that are a complete surprise. Everybody involved usually has some idea that something's going to happen. When it happens, though, is usually a surprise. Or maybe why. Maybe why it happens might be a surprise, but it's usually no surprise that something's going to happen. And uh, the same was the case for the colonies and for Great Britain. Now, in the summer and the fall in 1774 and, and all the way into the winter, uh, the Redcoats had been occupying Boston. You know, they were occupational troops, and there was no... Uh, there was no ifs, ands, or buts, or doubts about it. They were sent there to occupy Boston. That's what they were doing. Everybody knew that, and that's what they were there for. They were occupational troops sent in to occupy the town and to keep the inhabitants of the town under control. 
Now, they some people they they the redcoats were occupying Boston. Now they did uh, they did from time to time they did sally out of Boston uh, to show their strength, but. Uh, but mostly, uh, mostly they they were occupying troops in the city of Boston, and and during the whole time, uh, seventeen seventy four, that they were there in Boston, the American uh, militias were training and drilling. <coughs> Pardon me. They were collecting powder. Stop hiding their powder and their stores, their arms, their munitions. They were strengthening their uh, uh, possible supply systems. Uh, you know, they're planting extra crops uh, specifically to supply them if indeed there was some kind of trouble. And also during the same time, uh, the the folks in Boston who were showing out like contempt for the occupying troops that were waging uh, a war on paper, uh, which was came out in the form of uh, uh, pretty much of a, a ceaseless propaganda war, which which cast the Bostonians in the role of the martyrs and the British in the role of tyrants. And that's the only way you're going to have a propaganda war. Now, the... The intolerable acts were directed chiefly against the, the, the folks in Boston. You know that was the their punishment for the uh, for the Tea Party that was there. Uh, the the British made sure not to just localize uh, the conflict and. What they instead did was they uh, the the what they didn't understand. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Is that by by uh, oppressing the one colony, by oppressing Boston, they helped to uh, they helped to bring together. All the colonies and all the colonies made Boston's troubles their own. You know, I told you they people from all of the colonies started. They sent in supplies by uh, by land. They couldn't send it by sea because the port was closed, but they sent in supplies by land, and that, that was from all of the colonies. They sent in supplies by land, and also because of what was happening to Boston. The rest of the colonies said, well, you know, if this can happen to Boston, it can happen to us. We better get the militias out. We better start training them. We better start preparing for conflict. And that's what they did. Uh, at the same time, they set up uh, the Continental Congress. And uh, and who knows how many, uh, I don't know if you want to call them spying operations, but intelligence gathering systems. So that they knew exactly who, what, what the British were doing, when they were doing it, why, where, everything, and uh, and began setting up 
because of this, again, setting up their own the their own government, and not just before this, you had a group of loosely associated colonies, right? You had 13 colonies. Each colony had its own government, but they didn't really interact with each other. They didn't have, uh, I mean, they did. They in an informal way they did, but this caused them to begin working together as a group. This caused them to send delegates in order to form a continental congress, in order to which would eventually become a union of the colonies and then a nation. So, the the adoption of the Suffolk reserves, and then we talked about this uh, last week and week before, uh, showed that the Americans were not going to be intimidated. And even more outrageous for the for the British was how well this was going off for the colonies, how successful the the colonies were in in putting themselves together, locking themselves together, organizing and everything else. Uh, it would have been it would have been a miracle uh, if the if the Revo- the American Revolutionary War had not come sooner. We spoke last week of the uh, of the powder alarms and how that had also trained the the colonists. And uh, I'm going to read you now from. My favorite book of information on this subject, which is The Spirit of 76 by Castle Books. <clears throat> what I want to read to you is a, a letter that, uh, that King George wrote to Lord North. And he wrote this in November of 1774. <clears throat> and like I said, this is both sides. Both sides are on their last nerve. They've had it with each other. And... Uh, and North has finally come to the conclusion in his mind that uh, that only a war is going to fix this. All right, Lord, this is uh, King George Lord North from the Queen's House, November 18, 1774. I am not sorry that the line of conduct seems now chalked out, which the enclosed dispatches thoroughly justify. The New England governments are in a state of rebellion. Blows must decide whether they are to be subject to this country or independent. Blows must decide. That's it. Only a fight now is going to work this out. We have there is a fight, there is a war, and the winner gets America. Uh, All right, now uh, this is from the House of Commons. And... uh, this was written on February 10, 1775. The Earl of Sandwich, the noble lord, mentions the impracticability of conquering America. I cannot think the noble lord can be serious on this matter. Suppose the colonies do abound in men, what does that signify? They are raw, undisciplined, cowardly men. I wish instead for 40 or 50,000 of these brave fellows they would produce in the field at least 200,000. The more, the better, 
the easier would be the conquest. If they did not run away, they would starve themselves into compliance with our measures. Are these the men to fright us from the post of honor? Believe me, my lords, the very sound of a cannon would carry them off as fast as our feet could carry them. This is too trifling a part of the argument to detain your lordships any longer. Now, this was in response to discussion of the fact that, hey, <clears throat> what I want you guys to understand, and I'm paraphrasing everything, but uh, when the discussion came up, the Earl of Sandwich <clears throat> was speaking to the folks, and he said, I want you to understand that, that there are two million people over there, two million folks, and and there are hundreds of thousands of square miles. Now, at this time, there weren't more than, I believe, 40,000 or maybe 50,000 troops at the most all over the world under arms for uh, for Britain. And uh, and here, this fellow doesn't say who's, who was saying it, but he's saying he wished they would uh, get... Uh, that they would get 200,000 men out in the field to face the British Army. That way, it would it would be much easier to solve the problem then and there. Get 200,000 of these men, these cowardly Americans out in the field, and let's kill them all at once. Or have them starve themselves to death out there. That was a thought to the Americans. Uh, their, that was their uh, their attitudes toward the colonists. That was their belief of their superiority over them. Now, we all know that Major John Pitcairn, who was uh, commander of the Marines, uh, he played a large part in the events of April 19, 1775. Now, uh, Major Pitcairn is writing a letter to the Earl of Sandwich, and he wrote this uh, from Boston, posted it from Boston on the 14th of February, 1775. He says, My Lord, I have taken the liberty to write twice to your Lordship before this, since I came here. One letter I sent by Colonel Prescott, the other by the package ship from New York. I think many of the people of this country begin to think they have gone too far. The behavior of the New York people will have a very good effect. The general thinks he sees it already. And all the friends of government are of opinion that vigorous measures at present would soon put an end to this rebellion. The deluded people are made believe that they are invincible. A very impudent publication lately come out asserts that they are an overmatch for all of Europe in their own country. When this army is ordered to act against them, they will soon be convinced that they are very insignificant when opposed to regular troops. I send your lordship enclosed with this, the newspaper with the late resolves of the Provincial Congress, impudent enough they are. I often march out with our battalion six or seven miles into the country. The people swear at us sometimes, but that does us no harm. I often wish to have orders to march to Cambridge and seize those impudent rascals that have the assurance to make such resolves. They sometimes do not know what to think of us, for we march into the town where they are assembled. We have no orders to do what I wish to do, and what I think may be easily done. I mean to see them all and send them to England. I send your lordship some of the publications of this country. There is one 
I am sorry I can't get. It's called, What Do You Think of the Congress Now? If I can get it before the ship sails, I shall certainly send it. These are from the private papers of the Earl of Sandwich. Now, do you think that his tune changed after April 19th, 1775? Do you think that his, his very low assessment of the colonists changed after that? They sometimes do not know what to make of us, for we march into the town where they are assembled, but we have no orders to do what I wish to do, and what I think may be easily done. I mean to see them all and send them to England. Well, it didn't quite happen like that, did it? Pitcairn and his men, the complete battalion, uh, Colonel Smith's battalion that he was attached to, and... Uh, the battalion sent to rescue them were both put to rout and only escaped with their lives by mercy of the militia. So, <clears throat> so his uh, his assessment was uh, was very wrong. Listen, when you guys if you guys want to call in, make sure that. Uh, you're, you're welcome to call in, and the number is 347-308-8790, and uh, you're welcome to call in. I'll keep checking the uh, uh, the switchboard and uh, make sure I I see who's on there. I've got the chat room back open, call screener, so if uh, somebody calls and I don't see them, then just pop me open a uh, uh a uh, private screener and notice on here, and I'll, I'll take a look at it. <clears throat> all right, well, let's jump ahead to uh, to Paul Revere, because we all know that we all know that <clears throat> once the orders uh, had come through, once the orders had come through for <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> for the uh, British to make their march on Concord, where they were going to. Uh, uh, seize the munitions that they knew were there, and they knew they were there because there was a there were loyalists, you know, intermixed uh, throughout the colonies. It was uh, pretty much a thirty 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 mixture. We had thirty percent of the folks who were who were rebels and uh, and were preparing for war. You had thirty percent of the folks who wished to be left alone and had no great desire to see any conflict or or to change the road they were on, or they didn't care one way or another. And you had 30% who were loyalists. And you had another 10% that were, uh, that were uh, of other opinions. But in every village, you had plenty of loyalists. Well, the loyalists had sent Gage a... Uh, a a list of uh, of every every bit of stuff that was stored there. This person knew where everything was stored, all of the powder, the munitions, the cannon, everything. And Gage decided, even though, and that's where I got I, my understanding of him fails. Even though the previous, the only powder raid that had uh, 
that had been semi-successful was the one on Salem, and that had brought out close to close to twenty five thousand armed men. Twenty five thousand armed men. They got to remember he only had uh, approximately three to four thousand men himself. He made a raid on Salem, getting what he considered to be the king's powder. And I believe a good deal of it was actually did belong to the king, at least by charter. And and that caused 20,000-plus men to march on Boston under arms. Now, i got to tell you, if I did something and it had that effect, I, and my next two raids were were horrible failures, I, I, got, I would have to switch to something new. Right? And, you know, we always tell you, why they say, we, they always ask us, why are we teaching history? And it's because within history lies an understanding of the future. If you know your history, then you might have a good idea what will or might not work in the future. Gage did not pay attention to this. Many people throughout history did not pay attention to this. He decided that the best way to make the colonists shut up and accept his authority would be to go out and take their powder. Go get their powder. Now, we all know that the muskets require gunpowder to work. They could have a musket, but without gunpowder, it was just a stick. He'd go take their powder, and then they would shut up and listen to what he said because he knew best. He knew best for them. England knew best for the colonists. So they just wanted the colonists to shut up and do what they said. The best way to do that would go out and get their powder. And uh, if need be, slap a few around and show them who was boss. Now, this was never written anywhere, but you don't have to write that down to understand that that was an underlying uh, reason for this. We're going to march out in force. We're going to slap. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna and this is a uh a figurative slap, not a literal slap, but they did slap quite a few people literally. We're gonna slap some folks around and we're gonna show them not to mess with us. <clears throat> However, as I said, the colonists had had a year and a half of training to meet just such a threat. They'd set up uh uh intelligence gathering facilities, intelligence gathering organizations. There were who knows how many uh, actually bona fide organizations to gather intelligence, uh, close to two dozen uh, that are known, and there had to be countless other hundreds and even thousands of other intelligence gatherers from children to old people who kept their ears cocked to listen for any plans from uh, from the British regulars. In fact, it was said the only safe place for an Englishman, uh, a British regular, to have a discussion, they had to walk way out on the docks, to the very end of the docks alone, so that they could have a discussion about what to do with the colonists without it being overheard and instantly relayed. Well, Gage ordered the, uh, the march on Concord. And now, part of it was, I mean, it wasn't entirely uh, all of his doing. Uh, he 
he was uh, pretty much forced to do so by the king. You know, the king and, and the pressure from the king and from Lord North and from all the rest are saying they were getting very, very angry that that all of these troubles, as they were called, that they were continuing, that they were going on and on. And as I said, uh, George, when he wrote his letter to Lord North, he said uh, only blows were going to solve this. George, King George ordered Gage to do something about this, do something about the trouble that they were experiencing. And Gage <coughs> decided that uh, that he would send out this raid on Concord to try and uh, seize some of the the colonist stores, their their stores for warfare, and uh, and that that I guess would have some effect on him. Well, it did. It just wasn't the effect that he was looking for. <coughs> All right. Uh, Paul Revere was one of the major players in this, and uh, and <laughs> thanks largely to Longfellow's poem. No, no part of the history of the American Revolution is actually more familiar to Americans than the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere. And uh, even though even though the Longfellow's poem has Revere doing this all by himself, uh, as most of you know, there's no way that uh that Revere uh was able to uh ride thousands of uh uh, to thousands of locations and warn everybody by himself. He had several people helping. And uh, uh, he had uh, Dawes and uh, uh, and at each each town he went to warning the folks they lit warning fires, they sounded bells, they fired off warning guns, they sent off additional riders. So it was kind of like a modern-day telephone free. And uh, and the word went out that way. And so then Dawes uh, uh, and several others were helping at the same time. But but Revere got all the credit for it, which is, which is good. And uh, uh, let's see... Revere, and now I've got to remember, at the beginning uh, or after the war, the there was an attempt to keep quiet uh, Revere's part in this because, if you remember, they they it had to seem like there was a spontaneous uprising by the Americans because if it would have gotten out that that Paul Revere rode out there and got everybody ready and they were standing there ready with their with their firearms when the British arrived. It wouldn't have seemed quite as innocent, right? It had to be uh, the picture that the world, that they wanted the, the colonists wanted the world to see 
was one where uh, the farmers were plowing their fields and they saw the troops marching by, and uh, and maybe even the troops maybe even took a shot at them for no reason, and they ran and got their gear and they they became involved in the battle. But that's not quite how it was. Uh, they had had a year and a half to put together uh, their ready ready reserve, their ready reaction teams, and Revere rode out. Uh, once they got the word that Gage was sending out his troops, uh, when and how he was going to do it, then uh, Revere rode out and began uh, began his his role in this. <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> let me see. Uh, let me read you. I'm going to read you what uh, what Revere. Wrote. Now, he wrote two accounts of his ride. Now, he wrote a very short one in 1783, and uh, and then he wrote a bit of a longer one in 1798. That's when he wrote a, a letter to his friend, uh, Dr. Jeremy Belknap. And, uh, and I'm going to read you the letter that he wrote to his friend, because it's a more comprehensive uh, letter. Now, remember, this is directly... From the mouth of Revere. This isn't uh, this isn't written by anybody else. It's just straight from him. In the fall of 1774 and the winter of 1775, I was one of upwards of 30 chiefly mechanics who formed ourselves into a committee for the purpose of watching the movements of the British soldiers and gaining every intelligence of the movements of the Tories. We held our meetings at the Green Dragon Tavern. We were so careful that our meetings should be kept secret that every time we met, every person swore upon the Bible that they would not discover any of our transactions but to Messrs. Hancock, Adams, Doctors, Warrens, Church, and one or two more. In the winter, towards the spring, we frequently took turns two and two to watch the soldiers by patrolling the streets at night. The Saturday night preceding the April, the 19th of April, about 12 o'clock at night, the boats belonging to the transports were all launched and carried under the sterns of the men of war. In quotes here, they have, I mean, in uh, parentheses, they have, they have been previously hauled up and repaired. We likewise found that the grenadiers and light infantry were all taken off of duty. From these movements, we expected something serious was to be transacted. On Tuesday evening, the 18th, it was observed that a number of soldiers were marching towards the bottom of the commons. <clears throat> About 10 o'clock, Dr. Warren sent in great haste for me and begged me that I would immediately set off for Lexington, where Messrs. Hancock and Adams were, and acquaint them of the movement and that it was thought that they were the objects. When I got to Dr. Warren's house, I found he had sent an express by land to Lexington, a Mr. William Dawes. The Sunday before, by desire of Dr. Warren, I had been to Lexington, to Messrs. Hancock and Adams, who were at the Reverend Mr. Clark's. I returned at night to Charleston. There, I agreed with a Colonel Conant and some other gentlemen that if the British went out by water, we would show two lanthorns, L-A-N-T-H-O-R-N-S, lanthorns. Horns in the North Church of the Steeple. They're called lanthorns because the windows, the it wasn't glass. It was cattle horns, cattle horns, white 
kettle horns that were shaved down paper thin, and that's what was used. There were lamp horns in the North Church steeple. And if, and if by land, one lamp horn as a signal. For we were apprehensive it would be difficult to cross the Charles River or get over Boston Neck. I left Dr. Warren, called upon a friend, and desired him to make the signals. I then went home, took my boots and surf out, went to the north part of the town where I kept a boat. Two friends rolled me across Charleston River, across the Charles River, a little to the eastward where the Somerset Man of War lay. It was then Young Flood. That's the the condition of the tide, Young Flood. The ship was winding and the moon was rising. They landed me on the Charleston side. When I got into town, I met Colonel Conant and several others. They said they had seen our signals. I told them that was what was acting and went to get me a horse. I got a horse of Deacon Larkin. While the horse was preparing, Richard Devins, Esquire, who was one of the committee of safety, came to me and told me that he came down the road from Lexington after sundown that evening, that he met about ten British officers all well-mounted and armed, going up the road. I set off at a very good horse. It was then about 11 o'clock and very pleasant. After I had passed Charleston Neck, I saw two men on horseback under a tree. When I got near them, I discovered they were British officers. One tried to get ahead, ahead of me and the other to take me. I turned my horse very quick and galloped toward Charleston Neck and then pushed off for the Medford Road. The one who chased me, endeavoring to cut me off, got, got into a clay pond near where Mr. Russell's tavern is now built. You understand what he's saying? One of the guys was taking a shortcut, and I'm sure that he could tell that the road was winding or was coming to a corner. He was going to take a shortcut and cut him off. But they got into a clay pond. This is an area where it was like a low area of clay, that uh, that would hold water, and people could go to get clay to use for whatever they were building, uh, pots or uh, or fireplaces, etc. <clears throat> anyway, the guy who was trying to cut him off, his horse went into the clay pond and got mired. <clears throat> uh, I got clear of him and went through Medford, over the bridge, and up to Monotomy. In Medford, I'd wakened the captain of the Minutemen, and after that, I alarmed almost every house till I got to Lexington. I found Messrs. Hancock and Adams at the Reverend Mr. Clark's. I told them my errand and inquired for Mr. Dawes. They said he had not been there. I related the story of the two officers and supposed that he must have been stopped as he ought to have been there before me. After I'd been there about half an hour, Mr. Dawes came. We refreshed ourselves and set off for Concord. We were overtaken by a young Dr. Prescott, whom we found to be a high son of liberty. I told him of the ten officers that Mr. Devins met, and that it was probable we might be stopped before we got to Concord. For I supposed that after night they divided themselves and that two of them had fixed themselves in such passages as were most likely to stop any intelligence. <clears throat> I likewise mentioned that we'd better alarm all the inhabitants till we got to Concord. The young doctor much approved of it and said he would stop with either of us, for the, the people between that and Concord knew him 
and would give them more credit to what we said. When we got nearly halfway, Mr. Dawes and the doctor stopped along the people of the house. It was about 100 rods ahead when I saw two men in nearly the same situation as those officers were near Charleston. I called for the doctor and Mr. Dawes to come up. In an instant, I was surrounded by four of them. They had placed themselves in a straight road that inclined each way. They had taken down a pair of bars on the north side of the road, and two of them were under a tree in the pasture. The doctor, being foremost, he came up and we tried to get past them, but they being armed with pistols and swords, they forced us into the pasture. The doctor jumped his horse over a low stone wall and made for Concord. And now we know, too, that he, he did make it to Concord. He went to Concord and he warned them. However, they had been previously warned by letter from one of the intelligence committees who said, look, you guys are the target and it's coming. They've been warned, actually, I think of about 10 days before that because Revere was almost certain that the actual raid was to have taken place 10 days before. Now, he was right that Concord was a target. He had just been messed up on the dates. But that's great because the extra time had given them a chance to uh, to get everything out of its hiding places in Concord and safely, uh, uh, safely cache away at, at different places. I observed a wood at a small distance, and I made for that. When I got there, uh, out started six officers on horseback and ordered me to dismount. One of them, who appeared to have the command, examined me, where I came from, what my name was, and I told him. He asked me if I was an express, and I answered in the affirmative. He demanded what time I left Boston. I told him and added that there are troops that catch the ground in passing the river, and that there would be 500 Americans there in short time, for I had alarmed the country all the way up. He immediately rode toward those who had stopped us, but all five of them came down upon a full gallop. One of them, whom I afterwards found to be Major Mitchell of the 5th Regiment, clapped his pistol through my head, called me by my name, and told me he was going to ask me some questions, and if I did not give him the true answers, he would blow my brains out. He then asked me similar questions to those above. He then ordered me to mount my horse after searching me for arms. Now, that is a good point there, too. If you've read uh, Paul Revere's Ride by Dr. David Hatch Fisher, then you know that that, uh, that Paul Revere in his notes said that when he got home, he got all his clothes in his gear, got ready to take off, and he picked up a pistol and... He was getting ready to put the pistol in his pocket and take it with him, and he didn't. And that probably saved his life. I have to believe that uh, if Mitchell would have found a, a arms on him, he may have uh, he may have done something different. He then ordered them to advance and to lead me in front. When we got to the road, they turned down toward Lexington. When we had got about one mile, the major rode up to the officer that was leading them, leading me told him to give me to the sergeant. As soon as he took me, the major ordered him, if I attempted to run or anybody insulted them, 
to blow my brains out. We rode to about near Lexington Meeting House when the militia fired a volley of guns, which appeared to alarm them very much. Now, we also know that this is, these <coughs> these are uh, Parker's men, <coughs> these are Parker's men who have just been not released, but put on standby because he sent out the scouts to see if the regulars were indeed marching on uh, Lexington. They were, but he sent out scouts to see if they were going to be marching, and they and they weren't back yet. And he told the guys, "All right, he goes, let's 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 take a break. You guys don't go home, but don't go far. Don't go too so far that you cannot hear the drum. And the drum was used to uh, bring them back to formation. Don't go somewhere that you can't hear the drum." Well, a lot of the guys said, "Well, we'll just wait over in the tavern. You know, there's chairs and." Maybe we can get something uh, hot to eat or, you know, or maybe a drink. And before they went in, it was a custom not to go into the uh, uh, into a, an establishment with a loaded firearm. And it was not, i got to tell you, it's very, very difficult to unload a muzzle loader. You can do it. They make a thing called a worm that will screw down into the bullet, and you can manage to get it out some way and then pour out the powder and stuff like that. But it's very difficult. It's much easier just to cock it and fire it, and that's what they did, a whole group of the men at once. They were firing their muskets to clear them before they went to the tavern. <clears throat> Mitchell and his men, who had custody of part of you heard this, and when they did, they were very much alarmed because I think at the time, I, don't, I think that they thought that Revere was just blowing hot air uh, on them, and uh, and that there wasn't any, uh, <clears throat> there wasn't going to be any difficulty. And then they hear these shots going off, and they say, "Well, well, maybe he's right. Maybe we are in trouble. Maybe there is something going on." That's some consultation. The major wrote up to the sergeant and asked if his horse was tired. He answered him that he was. He was a sergeant of the Grenadiers, and he had a, he was a large man and had a small horse. Then, said the Major, take that man's horse. I dismounted, and the sergeant mounted my horse. They all rode toward, and we all rode towards the Lexington Meeting House. <laughs> now, what he doesn't say here, but what we know, too, is that they had, uh, when they had him dismounted. They cut the the bridle and the girth on the saddle so that uh, so that he couldn't get on his horse and go anywhere. You know, they they cut the the bridle and the saddle. They slapped the horse in the butt. But normally, in a horse, if you slap on the butt, it only runs you know a couple of yards away. And the hands are looking at you like, what what did you do that for? And if there would have been reins or a saddle then Revere could have mounted that horse and continued on his ride. But as it was, he had no way to steer the horse, and his saddle wouldn't have stayed on without the girth strap. So instead, he went across the bearing ground, walking by foot. I went across the bearing ground and some pastures and came to the Reverend Mr. Clark's house, where I found Messrs. Hancock and Adams. I told them of my treatment, and they concluded to go from that house towards Woburn. I went with them and a Mr. Lowell, who was a clerk to Mr. Hancock. When we got to the house where they intended to stop, Mr. Lowell and myself returned to Mr. Clark's to find what was going on. 
When we got there, an elderly man came in. He said he had just come from the tavern, that a man had come from Boston who said there were no British troops coming. Mr. Lowell and myself went towards the tavern. When we met a man on a full gallop, he told us the troops were coming up the rocks. Now, we know that the rocks, that's, that was a local uh, term for a uh, for a location that was less than a quarter of a mile uh, from the uh, from Lexington. Uh, all right, right, right after we met that man, we met uh, we immediately met another who said they were close by. Mister Lowell asked me to go to the tavern with him to get a trunk of papers belonging to Mister Hancock. Now. We also know, too, that Mr. Hancock, while he may have done some brilliant things, was uh, was not too considerate of the details. Uh, he'd had all of this time. He'd had weeks to to worry about this. And even still, he left a, uh, a trunk, a large trunk, in uh, the, uh, the meeting room above the tavern, filled with documents that were very damning to the uh, uh, the colonial cause, and left it there. <clears throat> okay, so now uh, Revere decides he's got to go. He's got to go and get it. We went up chamber, and while we were getting the trunk, we saw the British very near upon a full march. We hurried toward Mister Clark's house, and in our way, we passed through the militia. There were about 50. When we had got about 100 yards from the meeting house, the British troops appeared on both sides of the meeting house. In their front was an officer on horseback. They made a short halt when I saw and heard a gun fired, which appeared to be a pistol. Then I could distinguish two guns, and then a continual roar of musketry when we made off with the trunk. All right, now listen, I, I tell you, I've read uh, I've read quite a few bits uh, of testimonies from from that day. And uh, I know that I read this before, because I read this book cover to cover several times now, that I actually saw this uh, because, and I gotta, I've got to wonder, too, that this is in... This is written in 1798, uh, so that's uh, 22 years after this event. But what Revere is saying is that he saw the first shot. So he's in his uh, in his testament here, in his letter, he's writing that he saw the first shot. He said, "I saw and heard a gun fired, which appeared to be a pistol." I saw and heard a gunfire, which appeared to be a pistol. Then I could distinguish two guns and then a continual roar of musketry. All right. I don't know. You see, he was a hundred a hundred yards away. Well, he says he's saying he saw it. A hundred yards away he saw in their front was an officer on horseback. They made a short halt when I saw and heard a gunfire, 
which appeared to be a pistol. Well, there you guys, you got it. Uh, we don't know who fired the first shot. Here is testimony from Paul Revere saying he heard the first shot there. Now, there is also testimony from uh, from the uh, British regular side, and they they say they were firing at other places. However, we do know uh, from the testimony of everyone involved that neither of that the first shot did not come from any of the forces that were directly facing each other. It means all of the British troops they were standing there with their muskets and all of the uh, colonial forces. Uh, Captain Parker's in. Neither of those ever shot at each other first. Uh, Revere is saying he saw uh, an officer on horseback. Uh, on one side of the meeting house that fired a shot. All right. Well, there you have it. I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to go through. I'm not going to go through every bit of the history, uh, the because uh, because by now, my gosh. You guys should uh, you guys should be uh, should be pretty aware of it. <clears throat> what I am going to do instead is, uh, and I hope that uh, I see that there's 48 users right now in chat, but I don't see hardly is is nobody talking, or is my my chat just not uh, is my chat just not working? Well, it seems like it is. I mean, I'm tapping and typing, and it's going in. That doesn't really mean that it's working, though. All right. I told you guys that uh, we'd have the boss on, and uh, uh, and I'm going to bring him on in one second. Before I do, uh, I'm going to bring on uh, a guy who's going to give us a, uh, a, a quick uh a quick synopsis, synopsis of the NRA convention. <clears throat> All right, area code 513, you're on car. Hello. All right, who's this? Hi, this is Slim checking in from Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, hey, Slim, welcome to the show. It says you're going to call about uh, the stuff that's happened at the NRA convention? Yes, sir. I was just wondering, uh, just wanted to put it out there that we, we had a really fabulous event and we made contact with... Uh, Way more people than we thought ever possible in one single weekend, and it was just a it was a huge success. And I'd like to uh, tip the hat and or tip the hair, if you will, to uh, to all our volunteers that did an outstanding job, and then uh, field a little questions if anybody has any questions about anything. Well, uh, yeah, I got some questions. Who was uh, who was your uh, uh, who was the high point, or what do you think was uh, out of at the NRA convention? What was the the number one? best uh, contact uh, that you made or the best situation that you think that that uh, we can gather from the uh, the NRA convention? Okay. Uh, I, I can't really speak on the specifics of it because, number one, I don't know, and number two, they're still in the work. But it appears that we're going to be forming some industry partnerships over the next few months, and Appleseed will have uh, a little bit more. I, I don't necessarily want to say credibility, but we'll have more of a professional image than what we've had previously. It, it appears that we're in the near future, going to be making the step from grassroots to uh, a more professional, legitimate type organization. 
Right. Well, we already are a more professional, uh, legitimate type operation. We're just not uh, we're just not perceived as that by a lot of the by a lot of the nation. You know. Exactly. And, uh, That's hopefully, the, we really changed this weekend. Hopefully, the work that you guys are doing is going to uh, to help change that. Mm-hmm. One of the big comments that we have from the industry uh-huh. themselves, uh, several several big name uh, folks in the industry. They were shocked at how we could get this done by just being, and I use these terms loosely, as, as being not a professional and not a, a legitimate organization yet, but they're shocked that we can get this done without corporate sponsorship and without corporate uh, assistance. And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I bet they are. I bet that they are. I bet the majority of them are uh, are in awe of what Appleseed has done, and at the same time, I'm, I'm sure that uh, that there are tons of folks there who are seeing dollar signs in Appleseed. Exactly, and that's something that we we kind of took that to the NRA with a, a little bit of our purpose, where we're trying to offer a kind of a mutually beneficial relationship for them as well. But uh, the one the one question that they seemed to ask throughout the weekend was, um, you know, where are all your sponsors? We hand out this uh, promotional material. We had a little magazine printed up and stuff, and uh, they ask, you know, how come you're not putting your sponsors in here? And the answer is, of course, we don't have sponsors. We're, we're a grassroots organization that gets it done on the, the pocketbooks and the dedication of the volunteers themselves. And that's something that we – That they were freaking out, weren't they? Yeah, a little bit. I yeah, they, they were, were freaking they were out about that. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> awesome, and it seemed to be a pretty consistent theme, also. Oh my gosh, they're not beholding to anyone. How can they do it? <laughs> yep. Oh man, well listen. Uh, I would like to thank you for all of the work that you guys put in, and uh, we're going to be reaping the benefits uh, all throughout this coming year. And I'm sure that you guys learned enough that uh, that. Is at the next convention, you guys can uh, go in like uh, SWAT team members, armed for bear, and really uh, and really make a, a cleaning out them. Well, that is the plan. We're going to be down in your neck of the woods, so hopefully we'll see you there. Absolutely, and I look forward to it. All right, you got anything else you want to uh, to shoot out to folks? I'm going to bring Fred on in just a second. Anything? I'm, as a matter of fact, why don't you just hang on the air real quick? Uh, okay. Stay here with me. I'm going to bring Fred on. Yeah, because, I do, let me uh, say one more thing for everybody is uh, doing promotions as part of Appleseed is don't get frustrated because promotions, especially on our uh, lower level, for lack of a better word here, you know, we started off just passing out flyers and just going to the local barber shops and all that kind of stuff. We have to keep doing that because from a promotional perspective, sometimes it takes four or five, ten times for somebody to hear about Appleseed before they come out. But a rifleman persists, and especially in promotions yeah. is something we need to do. So don't get frustrated if you talk to somebody and they turn away and they they walk away without hearing the message. Keep taking it to them because it will work. Well, you're absolutely right. And I'll tell I tell people not to get frustrated, but I think a better thing to tell them is go ahead and get frustrated. Mm-hmm. Just don't let it change what you're doing. Uh, if you do it, you get frustrated, and what you do is you say, "Oh yeah, that didn't work. Oh, you didn't like that. Well, let me try this then, yeah. and uh, and try something else. And I try and I try and get folks to understand because you're preaching to the choir here because. Uh, I've been telling folks uh, for almost uh, a little over three years now on the show that promotions is the number one job of Appleseed. Uh, If Appleseed ever were to fail, the reason it would fail is because of promotions. 
We've got an excellent program. We've got uh, everything is is good to go. We've got the best folks. We have a fantastic program. The only thing that's uh, stopping us is getting the information out to the folks who want to come to Appleseed. They just don't know it exists. <laughs> and uh, and that I also agree. I want folks to understand that that the promotions aspect of Appleseed is, is not a 100-yard dash, guys. It is no different than Johnny Appleseed. That's what, how we base the program on. If you think that you're going to pop a seed in the ground and sling some water on it, and tomorrow you're going to have apples dropping down your gullet, that's not the way it works, all right? You you have to plant the seeds. You're never going to know. You may never know if the if the conversation you have with somebody works or it doesn't work. You may never, ever know, and you better... Get that into your mind right now. You may never know it's going to work. You may never, never, never find out if what you said did any good, but that doesn't matter because you got to turn around to the next person in line and do it again and keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually, eventually, it does work. It's not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon we're in. That means that you're going to be talking to people day in, day out, and of those people that you talk to, is in some places, in some hearts, in some ears, you're going to find a fertile plate piece of ground, and then that message is going to resonate, and they're going to end up in an apple seed, and we're going to have another person, another shoulder put to the wheel to help push. But it's not going to be every single person you talk to. It's not going to be every, it's not going to be 10 out of 100. It may be only one out of 100 that you talk to, but you got to talk to every 100 of them to get to that one, so don't give up. All right, let me bring on uh, Fred, because I told him that uh, I asked him to call at uh, 8.30, so he's been uh, hanging on for 18 minutes now. Uh, Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks, but I sure don't appreciate you bringing me on after Slim. <laughs> what, well, a calm down, what a calm down that's got to be. <laughs> well, uh I figured that you'd probably have some questions for him, and I wanted to get his uh, information out there. So, uh, were were you there with Slim, Fred? Yeah, I yeah. thought you were. Slim, so, didn't, Slim didn't say anything, but he was the head of the uh, he was the head of the entire convention. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've heard. Uh, You've heard the last 18 minutes, and what I wanted, uh, what I asked Fred to come onto the show and do, is to talk to you guys uh, about uh, the the bread and butter, about the general things that uh, how Fred would like and you to uh, the things he'd like you to think about tomorrow, today, and tomorrow, and then this weekend about putting the way he wants to, the best way to put together the for the upcoming event. So. Uh, do you want to uh, kick it off here, Fred? Uh, well, I'd say the first thing you'd want to do is to make sure that your shooters can find your location. Uh, there's been some recent comments on IARs about uh, the shooters arrive late, and uh, I, I, my personal uh, feeling is that it's possible they arrived late because the directions were inadequate. <clears throat> I've been to a few apple seeds myself where. Uh, the directions were either wrong or they were vague and confused. And um, um, I hope everybody will double-check the directions to the shoot and uh, just to make sure that nobody gets lost, put, put some direction signs out. I used to have a rule of thumb uh, 
that you put it out to the nearest major road. And I remember in one case, uh, that was 18 miles away. Uh, but the idea right. is that uh, they'll get within <clears throat> a certain a certain area of your chute, and then you want to you want to have your direction signs out there to uh, kind of bring them on in. But it's a shame right. to it's a, it's a shame to lose somebody. I mean, you know how hard it is to get somebody off the couch and get them to come out to a chute, uh, and it's a shame to lose them because uh, there might be some problem with the directions. Okay, so that's probably number one. Uh, number two. Well, I, I was going to say, you remember uh, uh, the remember the shoot that you and I went to in Grandfield, Oklahoma. Yep. I'm telling you, by their nature, most ranges have to be kind of out in the boonies, which means you got to usually get off the highway to go somewhere to get to them. And uh, one of the most difficult ones that, that I saw was when a friend and I went to Grandfield. And I'm telling you that you're, you're, there must have been uh, six or seven different roads we had, had to go on with no road signs on any of them. And uh, if it weren't for the the constant uh, signs, directional signs put up by Appleseed, there's no way that anybody would have found their way there. So make sure that you're putting up those road signs. Absolutely. Okay, Fred. Yep. And um, the other thing, of course, that you want to do tomorrow that's kind of special is to um, do the memorial volley. Is everybody out? Okay. I, and I'm not sure how well we got the word out on that, but uh, hopefully there's, a, there's nobody who's so new in the program that they don't um, uh, they don't know about the memorial volley. We started that right with the first uh, time we ever did simultaneous events. Um, I'm just looking to see the official times here, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, what time do you guys shoot them uh, in uh, Texas? Ah, here it is. It's 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Mountain, and 1 p.m. Pacific time. And there you in go. Alaska, in Alaska, they'll be doing it at uh, at noon. So okay. at, that, at that precise moment, all across the country. Um, uh, apple feeders will be uh, firing memorial volleys in honor of the uh, the guys who died on that uh, that first day. So it's uh, you guys who have been out there as an instructor know that it's uh, it's quite a it's a quite a moment as you listen to the names being called out and the uh, volley fired uh, after each name. It's, it's quite a moment to to realize that. Uh, uh, from coast to coast in this country, there are other people uh, uh, firing the same volleys. I used to claim that I could hear, I could hear them. I mean, if I was in uh, Oklahoma for the 419 shoot, I'd, I'd claim I could hear them, uh, you know, on my right side on the east coast, and and I could actually hear them over in California. Well, you know, that's uh, it's going to be a lot of rounds fired in just a few seconds. Because you think about it, if we have. Uh, you have like an average of 20 folks, well, that's probably on the low side. If you have an average of 20 folks, then you're going to get around uh, around 26,000 rounds fired in just a few seconds. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would recommend people do is um, uh, make sure that uh, you understand that, that uh, there are many fun- functions of apple seeds, <clears throat> but one of the functions of apple seeds is to um, suck people into uh, helping us out. We need, uh, obviously, we need we need we need thousands of people. 
more than we have now. And uh, the the image that uh, should be in your mind is that, uh, uh, you know, we're all on the deck of the sinking ship. And uh, early on in the program, we used to say we got to get these people out of the deck chair and put a bucket in their hands. Uh, and it was only after a few years that we realized, uh, no, it's really not time to put a bucket in their hands. We need to get them out of the deck chair and put them to getting other people out of the deck chair and then get those people to pull, get more people out of the deck chair. In other words, the name of the game right now is building building our numbers so that when we finally decide that we've got enough numbers, enough buckets uh, to save the ship, that's when we start that's when we start building. Right. I I used the analogy of the US Army in uh nineteen thirty nine had a hundred thousand uh, they were a hundred thousand strong and uh um World War Two was gonna require ultimately eleven million people in, in in uniform in this country. So how did they get from 100,000 to 11 million? Well, the answer was the first 100,000 trained the second 100,000. Did the second 100,000 go fight? No. The second 100,000 and the first 100,000 then turned around and trained the next 200,000. And then that 400,000 trained the next 400,000. That's the way you build a number from 100,000 to 11 million in six years. Right. And that's basically basically what we're doing. So, uh, you know, you carry the message to our... To our to our shooters, our students, that um, <clears throat> civic involvement, et cetera, et cetera, is a is a good thing. But but primarily, uh, we want to appeal to them to uh, you know seriously consider uh, helping us in this program because it's going to take a lot of people to uh, build the numbers that we're going to need uh, to save the country. Uh, I don't right. know if the, I, yeah, I don't it, know. I'm wondering if there's enough. Uh, I'm, I don't. I can't tell you, of course, what the secret is when you do the benediction on Saturday, um, late Saturday afternoon. I can't tell you what the secret is to getting people to to to, to step forward uh, because I don't know what the secret is. But I think the least you need to do is to um, ask or suggest that they consider that's stepping it. forward. That's it. I was going to say that 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 it seems like a uh it, it seems like such a an obvious thing that 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 everybody's doing it but i got to tell you i've been to events where they ran the event and they ended it without asking anyone to assist them and mm-hmm. that was one of my main uh, concerns whenever i critiqued the event afterwards i said look guys you got it and the way i do it is all throughout the i do it whenever they first get there during the introduction i tell them what we're looking for, and throughout the day that I would like for each and every person there to pay attention to what we're doing and to consider uh, when they see what we're doing, how we're doing it, to consider becoming a uh, a member of the AFC Instructor Corps. And at the, at the end, I get my really hard pitch. And uh, I don't pull any punches because I don't feel like, I don't feel like uh, giving a hard call to them to become a member is is wrong. I, I I don't feel I feel like that that in order to save this nation, I feel that there's not a whole lot of things that I'm not willing to say to them to get them to become a a member. All true things, of course, but I'm not I'm not uh, afraid to uh, I'm not afraid to to lean on their on their sense of uh, of guilt or anything else to get them to help out and. It seems like a very uh, common sense thing to do, but a lot of people either they forget 
or they are for some reason they don't want to do it, you've got to ask the people who are there to do it. And I'm sure that a few guys, for you guys that have been doing shoots for a while, you know that when you get through with a shoot, a lot of people there, they don't, there's a lot of people that don't want to leave. They want to keep, they want to stay there. They want to keep talking about it. Those folks are your highest priority uh, for talking to and for getting them to, to come along with you. And, uh, there have been many times when I've even taken those folks to the instructor dinner. Now, I haven't billed uh, Fred for it, but I paid for it out of my own pocket. But I've had them come to the instructor dinner to, to help try and draw them in and include them in what we're doing so that they would feel a, a sense of connection with us and that hopefully that I could, uh, I could get them to understand that what we're doing was important enough that they should help too. So don't lose, don't bypass the opportunity to, like Fred said, at the very minimum, to make sure that you are asking folks to help, to do their part. Uh, if they're, and, and I tell folks, I, I said, look, if you're, everybody, there's no free rides. There's no prepaid, there's no free rides. Everybody is responsible for helping to safeguard the freedoms and liberties that we enjoy by virtue of living in this nation. If you don't want to do apple seed, okay, do something else. Uh, but apple seed is what I've found to be the way that I can help, and uh, you should at least give it a try before you uh, before you pass on it. What else do you have there? Uh, uh, now, uh, the obvious thing I'm sure is is today being Thursday, you got one more day to check your shoe box and make everything sure everything's included. Make sure your part of potties are uh, on the way that they're confirmed that there's no surprise. Uh, things that they're delivering or anything else, and uh, make sure that you have contacted your instructors and stuff like that tomorrow. What else do you have, Fred? Well, I'll take a couple of minutes and say that um, you folks are already apple seeders. Uh, if you could have seen the the team that Appleseed fielded at the NRA convention this last weekend, you would have been really proud of the volunteers who were there. That was an absolutely superb team of individuals who were 100% dedicated. And uh, as you guys know, uh, and Appleseed is uh, is a long weekend uh, at the NRA convention. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, so it was like doing uh, two back-to-back Appleseeds. And in one, at least one case, uh, three of our volunteers were out until 4 in the morning. Uh, supposedly they were partying, but actually what they were doing was they were making contacts with uh, in, in those off moment, off hours, very important, uh, easy to get uh, you know direct contact with people and uh, interact with them in a in a way that uh, where where there's hey, no barriers. But Fred, we had a really we had a really good let me, crew. Let me break in real quick. We got nine seconds left of the live broadcast. Let me tell you guys this: we're going to keep going. And uh, you can call in to listen, or it should be on the archives. If you can get to the archives, uh, it should be you should be able to pick up the show again in the archives. Uh, all right, but we're going to keep going. So, uh, and we got a couple of folks that are, that are calling in. Uh, that are calling in for to ask questions. You uh, can you take a call? Sure. Okay, we got uh, Mike from Pontiac, Michigan, who wants to. Uh, to ask a question, Mike, welcome to the program. Hey guys, it's it's cool, Mike from Conservative Primetime. Um, great show as always. Um, my question is, um, well, in a comment, 
Um, I know the frustrations it is sometimes and when you're trying to get people involved. Do you know something you were reading earlier today about Paul Revere and just many of the great Americans that under whatever conditions they were steadfast and they were fighting for democracy? And that's the same thing we have to do, just stay focused that maybe, you know, 200 years from now, people will be talking about us and talking about these people. They started this blog talk radio and they took their country back. So no matter what, it's not the 100 that turn us away. It's the one out of that 100 that joins us and fights for the democ- for the republic. Um, Absolutely. I told you guys at the beginning of the show that every time this nation has been imperiled, every time the future of this nation uh, has been resting on the sharp edge of a knife and we could have gone either way, it wasn't uh, by any means a majority of individuals who swayed it. It wasn't 50 or 40 or 30 or 10 or even 1%. It was a tiny, tiny handful, like a uh, like a one uh, one ten thousandth of a percent of the population that saved the nation. All right. Well, thanks, Mike. You got anything else to put out? Uh, yeah. Well, I had a question regarding um, uh, regarding the weekend um, when uh, the, the, at the at the NRA gathering. Were there were were there individual politicians there present? Um, it, it just seem it just seems like there uh, over the last say couple of years, so many of the uh, Second Amendment advocate po- politicians are only saying it in words. They seem to have disappeared at the functions as a standing voice for the Second Amendment. I mean, were there any ones there absolutely carrying our American flag as far as like right up front riding their horse, saying I will fight to the end for this? Or, or were there not? Um, I'm going to mute myself, and I'll just listen to the rest of the show. Thanks. Great show, right, man? I mean, it's it's just one of the best shows uh, I've ever I ever listened to on BTR. Well, thank you very very much. All right, uh, Fred, you and Slim, you were you were there. What do you what, what can you say? Uh, let me let me defer to Slim because he was all over that convention. All right. Um, as the caller asked, it seemed like they were there in voice only, and um, I, you know, obviously we don't get political, but that's that's kind of how it seemed to me too. We we didn't really see a whole lot of politicians out and about. Uh, I believe the governor of Missouri, or maybe it was the the mayor of St. Louis, it was one of the uh, local folks there. He opened up the convention, and I I think I shook his hand outside. There was somebody in a really really nice suit, which I'm not sure how they afford those nice suits, but he had a really nice suit on and his little. Uh, uh, his minions were with him, and I, I seven-stepped them on the way out just on a chance encounter. But uh, so there was there was a local politician there, and then the uh, the uh, GOP candidates who are popular in the media, not all four of them, but the three who are popular in the media, even the one who already dropped out, he was there. And uh, basically, those guys just said, you know, hi, I'm here for the convention, and then they were gone. So as far as actual um, political representation for the Second Amendment, I I did not see that there at all. Wow. Well, hmm. See, that's something I would have. I wouldn't have expected you to answer it that way, Slim. I would have expected you to say that. Yeah, you saw them left and right shaking hands and uh, and slathering on the uh, the 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 gimme money butter and uh, and everything else. I, I wouldn't have expected them not to be there. Yeah, there was definitely a, um, a lack of their presence and an absence of representation there. 
Wow. Mm. Well, you know what? I, I say that, and I'll tell you right now, it does not surprise me a bit because, yeah, you guys have heard me before. Appleseed, of course, is in, has in, no politics whatsoever. Uh, we don't endorse anyone for any reason. We don't have any politics any older than 1775, but it, different individuals that uh, are not representing the Appleseed uh, bot or anything have opinions. And I'll tell you my personal opinion, which is, is in no way endorsed or uh, by Appleseed, and that is that uh, the the whole the whole group of them up there uh, they no longer represent us. No, they no longer represent uh, America. And uh, I don't care what letter is in front of their name. I don't think they really care about us anymore. And that's the big problem. And that's why we have to start from the ground up and make sure that uh, that we're getting folks up there to represent us. And you know what? We're doing that right now. I can guarantee you, and, and Fred has talked about this on the forum. He talked about it in Shotgun News. And I'm, I'm sure that he's, he would be willing to give us uh, his time predictions and stuff right now, and that is on how soon that we will start getting uh, senators and congressmen who are apple seeders. Well, if you force me to pick a pick a time, I'll say four years from now. Okay, because that I mean, we'll four have, years we'll from have, now will we'll make have, ten years. We, we will have some before then, but I think we will have a a steady stream. Um, and I'm going out on a limb a little bit on this, but I think we'll have a we will have a we will be able to track the increasing number of people who are elected uh, who have been to an apple seed. Mm. Well, that is. Uh, uh, I hate waiting that long, but I guess we're going to have to. Let me get a, grab another guy here now. Uh, uh, okay, where did where did he go? Yeah, while you're looking for him, let me interject something here. We have go here ahead. in Ohio uh, one of our local guys that's uh, an IIT up north. He's actually run for his city council, and, and uh, I don't know if he was inspired by Appleseed or something he was really thinking of before, but he's taken that Appleseed message to his on his local level. So uh, Appleseed is working on the political front, that's for sure. Well, I'm sure that uh, that that politicians. I'm not going to, uh, and everything I say is you know is kind of a generalization here. And like I said, I'm not endorsing reason, but I'll say that. The politicians, by their nature, they are certainly not uh, the ones that I've met. And I've met a good many of them. I've talked to a good many of them. They're not. Uh, they are not the folks that uh, that I would get to lead, uh, even like a uh, a carpool or anything like that. Uh, uh, it seems like they're mostly held in place by their staff. Uh, and if the if the NRA is just now seeing what we're doing, and, and they're really not just now seeing it because I've been talking to them for two years now, and believe me, for several years now they've been watching very closely what we're doing, and they're they 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 are trying to figure out how they can do it themselves to re-energize their their base, like Appleseed is doing. And I'm sure, that, like you said, you guys, when you were talking to them at the convention, I'm sure the majority of them were 
were were were very uh, curious about how we do it, but uh, I doubt that the politicians are seeing apple seed. Or they're they're not even aware of apple seed, other than a very few of them. Uh, I know that mine are because I contacted them. But other than that, I doubt that politicians are aware of apple seed, and that's one of the things we keep asking you guys to do is contact your representatives and let them know, first of all, that we exist and invite them to the events and stuff like that. And then, uh, and the more of them that we that we contact, the better position that we'll be in. And uh, I believe you guys, you know, a couple of uh, few episodes back, you heard from Trey Tuggle, who uh, who is running the uh, the NRA Tactical Rifle, and uh, he has talked about uh, the NRA and Appleseed doing a a joint uh, weekend across the nation, and uh, that may that I don't know if you guys uh, talked to anyone there about that, but that may be uh, uh, the something for us in the future. Uh, all right, I've got uh, I've got another caller, Goldfish from Athens, Ohio. Goldfish, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yes, sir. This is Goldfish. Um, I um. I uh, was also there with um, Fred and uh, and uh, the uh, whole crew there. Um, um, the uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the past couple of days at the NRA convention. So um, um, I'm go- going along with um, with uh, um, um, going on with them, um, talking to people about Appleseed. Um, most people, the vast majority of people, are not going to go to a shooter or, or um. Ap- after the first time hearing about it, it's going to take 10, 15, maybe even 30 or 50 times. So what? So you got to keep in mind that um, that when you're talking to people, you you may be the first time that they've heard about it, maybe the 50th time, and and um and if and if it's that last time that's going to get them over the hump, that you have to be on your A game. You have to be pitching apple seed the best, the best, the best you can. Your best fastball, your best sinker, slider, whatever you got, um, because that may be what's going to get them to a to a shoot and ultimately wake them up um, and help save our country. So there were um, there were a couple people like that this past weekend that I was able to talk to. Um, there was um there was a family and uh, she was actually from Texas, I believe, um, and um, and um, she had. She had she had she had she had seen a billboard. It was the first time she had heard about Appleseed seed seed. She saw her booth. She came running over to me and said, Hey, you guys are Project Appleseed. I saw you guys on a billboard and then I went and looked you guys up and you guys are awesome. So her it only took one time. And, okay, and now from Fred, the there you go, you heard it, the billboard. Yes, a lady from Texas. And I can't <laughs> tell you how many people I um talked talked to that said, yeah, I saw you guys coming in on the billboards on Route 70 out there. The billboards are working. Well, but, I'm hoping because by now, looking at the, the billboard company stats and uh, and going by the amount of time, we should have had about, uh, I'd say about 20 million views so far. Now, I'm not talking about 20 million people. I wish that were the case, but I'm talking about 20 million views and climbing. I mean, that, that 20 million times someone uh, has looked at the board, at the billboard. 
And it could be the same person for, you know, uh, for almost 700 of those times. But nonetheless, uh, that's the, that's the, the, the view counts are going up and up. So the billboards, they're working. You know, they're just working in their own time, and they work 24 hours a day. They never go to sleep. They never get tired or hungry or thirsty. They just continue right. on day after day working. Definitely. Let me uh, let me add something to what Goldfish said because he made an extremely good point. That is that it takes so much effort, so much time, so many repetitions to get somebody to show up at an apple seed, and, and that therefore we want to make it the best apple seed possible. And a key component of making the apple seed the best that, that it can be is uh, uh, it, it's made possible by the instructor meeting. And what that means is that uh, every instructor in this program n- needs to uh, be absolutely honest at that instructor meeting. If you see something that needs improved, you need to speak up. Uh, it's the only way that, that this program continually and steadily improves is by the 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 honest feedback which is uh which occurs during during an instructor meeting. Right. And and I've noticed too a lot of people are running their shoots without instructor meetings and and that has been a critique of mine too because I don't see how you guys can do that. You you got to have the meeting. I, I usually try and have a pre-meeting on Friday with everybody that can attend, a 7.30 a.m. on Saturday meeting. Uh, if we need it, if something has happened between 7.30 a.m. and lunchtime, we'll have a lunchtime meeting. Uh, if there's something that's going on that I need to fix, because I don't talk to the instructors about anything in front of the attendees. There's nothing, no business that I talk about. Even if somebody says uh, something that's not quite right as long as it's not a safety violation. I don't make a correction in front of the attendees. I do it at, uh, in in private at lunchtime. And then and after the shoot the briefing and to make sure you have those and then you have to do the same thing on Sunday. Do the same thing on Sunday and then do your after the event briefing after and you know what? Uh that's another thing that I'll do is 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 everything is usually covered at the at the end of the day on Sunday. Everything usually runs smooth, and if there is, as long as there is nothing uh, that I can't say in front of the attendees, if there are people that are hanging out that are really excited about Appleseed and that are considering becoming instructors, then I'll pull them over into the instructor briefing as long as there is nothing in the briefing that I'm going to say or that anybody else is going to say that uh, that is something that they can't hear. You know what I'm saying? As long as we're not talking about something that uh, there's specifically Appleseed business, then I bring them in there because it's it's another uh, degree of inclusion that helps them to understand. They they feel like they're being included, and if you can make somebody feel like they're being included, then you've got a lot more chance of having them come back to another event and eventually taking the hat. They want to be wearing the hat during that meeting. They don't want to be standing there in civilian clothes, they want to be wearing the hat during the meeting. So the instructor meetings are extremely important, all right? The Friday meeting, if you can have one, uh, the Saturday morning meeting before the event, that's that's a definite. There's no way to escape that one. Do not bypass that one. If you need another meeting, you can, you can have a quick meeting at lunchtime. 
You get a debriefing on Saturday after the event, and then another 7.30 uh, meeting on Sunday, and then an after-briefing afterwards. The morning meetings are very important. It's no, no different than a football huddle, right? You're in the football huddle, and you're, you're, you're giving everybody their, uh, their parts in the game that's about to be played, you get through and you do the uh, you know the big handshake and the the hoorah and then you go out and you play your game to the best of your abilities. So the instructor meetings are extremely important. At the home range for the last uh, for for a good while now, the uh, instructors have been uh, inviting uh, students. Uh, uh, it's a dinner meeting, and it, uh, the instructor meeting here in Ramsar usually takes place. Uh, the key one takes place uh, Saturday after the, after the first day, and uh, <clears throat> they make sure that, that that any students who want to come, uh, you know, they're welcome to come, and they they uh, have been uh, encouraged by the reaction of the students to be included, just for the reasons that you mentioned earlier, Scout. It makes them feel like they're part of uh, part of something, because after all, they're they're. It's like being invited down into the um, uh, the locker room, you know, at the mid-game thing, where you can sit right there amongst the football players and hear the coach talking, and and uh, you feel like you're it makes you feel more like you're part of it. That's it exactly. The more you can include them, and the same thing goes for when you're on the line. If you can, uh, and I'm not saying that you do this right off the bat. I'm just saying you pick out the folks that you can determine who are. Uh, who have their game, and they understand what they're doing. And if you can uh, identify those folks early on, you keep watching them, make sure that they're good to go, then you can start tapping some of them to start doing duties uh, on the line. They can help you uh, clear the line, and the way you can do it safely is they clear the line, but they're not in charge of the line. They clear the line, they're doing the the duties, but they're backed up by an official Appleseed uh, instructor. And he is the one that's going to actually accept the commands and stuff. But you get the guys, uh, you identify the folks, and you help get them to help clear the line. Uh, you can uh, you can include them in many different ways. You can ask some of the folks to be uh, demonstrators for positions and stuff. They don't have to know the position because you're going to demonstrate and you're going to guide them through it. And you use their name. You say you get that you know their name. You say all right. Uh, Instruct or write the the attendee bill. Bill is going to show you the uh, the the correct standing position. Bill is going to show you the proper sitting position. You can include them in a lot of different ways. And when you start including them, if they feel like they're like they are part of the program, then every time you can you can get an additional inclusion in them, then you got that much better of a chance of getting them to stick with it and become a part of the Appleseed program. I'd like to interject here for for any of the shoot bosses that are listening. Um, if, if we get kind of kind of hung up with how we do it and we just do it that way, one of the great tools that these guys are talking about that they've touched on is if you can get a first time shooter or maybe they've been to a two or three events, but if you can get that new perspective that you haven't really thought of for a while, uh, bring them out to the uh, uh, to the instructor dinner or even just sitting around the fire in the evening. Some of the best feedback you can get is from those folks who are brand new and seen it for the first time. That's right. That is right. And they'll they'll give you 
uh, a good perspective uh, on how to do stuff or, or how to make things better, especially if you talk to women. And uh, and listen, that's another good way uh, to get folks in, and we need women uh, to help us. There have been a, a couple of times when uh, and we have a an instructor that we're getting ready to put the hat on now that what we did is we identified this shooter who was a female and uh, and she didn't ask to become an instructor. What we did is we we got together and asked her. Uh, the group of us got together and we, we called her over after the shoot and we said, look, we've been watching you and we've been watching your techniques and the way that we've been watching the way you comport yourself and the way that you handle yourself on the line and your shooting abilities, and we think that you would make an excellent Appleseed instructor, and we would like you to consider this. And I think she was a little bit shocked by by this. I don't think that she had any idea that that this was something that she had even considered. But because we did this, yeah, I tell you, she she came back. She shot the rifle standards, and we're getting ready to put the hat on her. Yep, women women do not expect it, and they are, think they're pleasantly surprised, and it may throw the entire experience in a new light in their eyes. Uh, I know at the uh, at the convention, when a husband and wife came by, I would I would I would say to the wife, I'd say, you know, uh, we want you as an instructor in this. In this uh, in this program, I said your husband he can he can be an instructor or not if he wants to, but uh, in your case we want you to be an instructor because we want more women instructors. And um, uh, you know if it was me and somebody said that to me, I'd feel I'd feel kind of special. And uh, the nice thing about it is that it's uh, totally 100% sincere. Um, <clears throat> women instructors are. Uh, are a real asset for this program, and they proved it in the uh, in the convention. Because uh, you know how it is at a gun show, and the convention is something of a gun show, and uh, the guys bring their girlfriends, they bring their wives, and uh, most of the time they're following them. They're, they're, uh, their husband or boyfriend around, they're totally bored, and then all of a sudden they run across this group that says, hey, you know, we, we want women in this program. And... Uh, Far from being a burden anymore, uh, all of a sudden somebody says, "Hey, we're really glad you came. We want to talk to you. Uh, we want you to be an instructor in our program." And uh, it was the women in our in our in our booth who could who could uh, you know relate more uh, you know to a fellow woman than, than than those guys could. So quite often when I did the spiel about uh, you know telling the woman we want you to be an instructor, or your husband he can be one or not, whichever he wants to do, but we want you and then. If she expressed any interest at all, um, you know, I would, I would I would call one of our lady instructors over and say, "Well, here, ask this lady instructor; she'll tell you what it's like." And all of a sudden, this woman is interacting with another woman who is already an instructor, so she's really getting the information that she probably uh, would like to get, and she's getting it from another woman. It, it just uh, our, I was really glad that we had the ladies at the uh, as part of the team that we did. And uh, I got to tell you, they did an outstanding job. Excellent. And uh, I didn't tell you about this. Uh, I think I forgot to tell you about it today when we were talking about Appleseed Promotions, Fred. But uh, uh, 
Do you remember Michael Bain? He uh, he owns a downrange TV network. Uh, anyway, yeah, the name 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 somewhat familiar. Yeah. Right. Anyway, he he. Uh, I've been talking to him for a couple of years, and I told him he'd offered us our, our own channel on uh, downrange TV, and uh, and I've been I keep asking him about the apple seed involvement and uh, he got he just uh, contacted me uh oh a couple of weeks ago and uh he wants to do like a uh, either a two or three part series on apple seed and apple seed will be the entire focus of the program and uh, it'll uh, air on the outdoor channel and uh so we're talking about that right now other than uh, we had to take a break because he went to the NRA convention too mhm he does uh, all of the downrange TV stuff. He does uh, personal defense uh, shows. He does uh, on, uh, I guess it's the Outdoor Channel. Anyway, he does uh, a lot of TV now. <laughs> and uh, uh, and we're working toward getting the, uh, we're getting Appleseed its own uh, its own series there on the Outdoor Channel. Well, that would sure be nice. <laughs> yeah, that that would be nice. But the billboards are working. They just have to work on their own time. And you know, when you talked about the uh uh the convention stuff as you guys were talking about it and I I, I wanna tell you guys too that I've been to uh, a couple of the uh of different types of public functions, including uh recently a the Dallas Self Reliance Expo. And and the, even though the event was a lot smaller than I figured it would be, and there may be, I don't know, a 1,000 folks uh, a day, maybe more. I, I don't know what the door was that came through. I personally spoke to about 25 or 30 folks, and th- I was trying to figure out a way to keep track of of who I talked to and how good it did. What I ended up doing is I gave each one my personal card, and I told them, I said, if you will come to an apple seed, uh, and let me hand walk you through uh, the apple seed. Uh, and let me hand walk you through the thing. Then you can attend at no charge, and uh, you just give me a call. We'll set it up, and you can go. You can come to the apple seed. And for a couple of weeks, there was nothing. And I said, well, well there you go. Now we see how that works. There's no no return on that. All right. But it took about three to four weeks before I got the first phone call. Then. They started uh, coming in pretty regular. Now there's a, probably a little over, there's probably 70, 60 to 70 percent of the folks I talked to, of the 25 to 30 folks I talked to, have called me and contacted me and uh, and asked to set up their apple seed attendance. And now I don't know uh, uh, if any way, I don't know if you guys figured out any way to uh, to get any data on who you talked to, and what kind of returns it had. But that would be one of the things that I would encourage you to look at in planning for your next uh, convention. And that is a way to, to try and figure out how uh, who you talk to and how it what uh, returns it brings. Now, and I don't know any way to, I don't, I don't know who you talked to or what you did. Uh, maybe you're doing this already. But I would encourage you guys to think about that, to figure out some way to... Uh, to gauge the effectiveness of who you talk to and when and how and stuff like that. Well, speaking of the next uh, NRA convention, it's going to be something like May 13th and 14th next year in uh, 
I want to say Dallas Fort Worth, and so I, I would be surprised if you weren't there, Scout. And uh, I, I'm going to tell you that in the next, uh, starting almost in the next few weeks, um, we want to start considering, uh, you know, who we want on the team uh, for that for that next convention. And I'm I'm sure we're going to want uh, our Appleseed instructors in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to want, if we can, we want to get some younger instructors there too. I mean, Goldfish was a was a was was a great asset. The only problem with him is he looks like he's about 25 years old, big guy. <laughs> so we need to uh, we, we we need to see if we can get some some younger instructors who really look like young instructors. You know, 13 to 13 to 17 or 18. Um, because that's going to be really going to see those young instructors, and I think they're going to say, "Boy, this is a pretty good program if it can take, you know, if it can appeal to young kids and and get them involved in such a worthy cause." We're also going to be looking for women, more women, particularly. I would say uh, we want to give this uh, uh, this team that's in Texas. Uh, we don't want them to all be from uh, you know outside Texas. We want this team to have a real Texas flavor. So in the next, well, the young uh, girl that I was telling you about that, uh, that we're getting ready to put the hat on, mm-hmm. uh, where, where she is, uh, she would be a perfect candidate because uh, because we had to skip putting the hat on her this last time because, uh, and I think that she's a uh, very young girl. I don't know. I, I imagine that she's finished high school maybe, but uh, but she had to go. She wanted to go to the Republican convention to speak to them about apple seed, so that's where she was. And uh, and she is, uh, I'm telling you, she is one sharp individual. So she would be a, a good prospect to uh, to be on the team. The uh, Dallas crew, Andrew and Lauren, you know them. They're doing great. And uh, Lauren is a female. Not only that, but she's been selected as a, uh, I believe, as one of the uh, the representatives for uh, for the high power. For the Texas high power teams, so she would be a great uh, a great rep too. Mhm. Well, okay, you've got twelve months to uh, uh, to uh, scout and find uh, find people that you'd like to be there representing Texas Appleseed. All right. Um, but well, any uh, I, I know that uh, I know that we're 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 going on, but. Uh, Anything that uh, that you would like to get out before we uh, before we shut down here? Mm, how much time do we have? We got as much time as you want. Well, as far as I know, they're not going to shut me down in archives. They just will only give me two hours uh, mm-hmm. to broadcast live. Now, I thought that they would let me uh, would let other folks call in, but the uh, but I tried to get them to do that, and the folks in the chat room. Who they were all going to switch over to the phones, but they said they can't. They said the uh, the switchboard is not letting them call in anymore, so mm. they're going to have to wait and catch this in the archives. It'll be in the archives in about thirty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. But we can talk well, as long as you guys would like. There's, there's, uh, well, I've talked plenty enough. Slim, you're still on the line, are you? Yes, sir. Okay. I mean, it's, uh, if if I were you, I'd be I'd be out there uh, saying, "How many people can we get to show up at the next convention with uh, Mohawks?" Seems like to me we should fill at least six, if not more. Yeah, well, I will take that challenge, and we'll see what we can do. I mean, because can you I, saw, I saw somebody in the chat room say that uh, 
they wanted to see Fred with a mohawk at the next convention. Yeah, well, you know, I've got enemies all over, right? <laughs> no, I don't think that they were talking about giving you one themselves. I think they were talking about you getting one. <laughs> well, Slim can carry it off, but there's no way I could carry it off. <laughs> that was truly but, one of those things where uh, I expected to show up. It's funny that we joked about it. It's an SKS, Eric, down there in Florida. He he uh, posted something about we're going to help out at the NRA convention, this and that, and I I asked him if it was okay if I wore a mohawk, and he kind of chuckled it off because I think he thought I was joking. And then we showed up Thursday morning and picked him up, and he just kind of gave me a funny look. And uh, I I fully expected by Friday morning to be told at least by several people to shave it off, but uh, it, it never came, and uh, it, it worked out the way it did, and um, it was probably a good thing. So just one of those things that kind of happened, but – just for anybody who's wondering about the Mohawk, I I, um, I I thought about it. I was sitting around at Christmas break, and I thought it over, and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to, to do the Mohawk, but I actually took the historical perspective on it. And uh, the story that I told several contacts that we had with, you know, the big thing is, oh, you lost a bet, or somebody made you do that, or whatever. But the thing right. is, our, our forefathers dressed up like Indians as they threw that tea off the side of those ships. And uh, they did so because in the political cartoons and the thought of the day was, uh, was the Indians were free people, and I've I've long yeah. thought myself to be a free person now, especially after getting involved in Appleseed, and uh, I figured this was just a good way to really put that out there, and and it's an instant image of, hey, here's a guy who's not going to be uh, subject to the same rules the rest of us are, and I think if uh, if more Americans would take that kind of stand, even just something like this, where, you know, we, we obviously we're still going to play by the rules and try to be as good of a professional as possible and all that stuff, but. Just that, that statement, that instant image of, you know, I'm not going to be lorded over by some king that's 3,000 miles away. I'm going to be doing my own thing here, and, and I'm going to tip the hat or tip the hair to my, my forefathers, and we're going to try to live as Americans. Um, I think that would really help us out. Well, did you have some pictures uh, of you and your I think there are a couple on the website. Um, I know the internal after-action report had some, and I believe there, there are several out there, so maybe, um, I, I don't know, TechRes would probably be a good one if he's still listening here. Uh, he could probably post them on there because he had some pretty uh, pretty high-vis type stuff. My, I just have a cheap camera phone. But um, on that note, uh, one of the uh, uh, several of the instant or, uh, interesting pictures that I had were from folks, uh, like just walking through the crowd there, you see people that are on top shot or you see people who are kind of known around the firearms community, and it was awesome to be walking through there and uh, – you know, here's the here's the champ from Top Shot, and he's like, hey, man, you know, nice mohawk. And I said, well, hey, let me talk to you about Appleseed. And before the event's over, he's telling me that he's ready to go with uh, with his family to one of our events. So it opened Which up a lot this? of doors, and it really did help out. Which guy was this? Uh, the uh, the guy from Top Shot, Chris Reed. Oh, okay. Okay, not one of the shooters. Well, he was, uh, I, I want to say season two, possibly season three, he was one of the... The champions. He was the top shot, so he was, ah. he was on the TV show. Okay, well, great. Yeah, see, we talked to them here, and we've got uh, we've got a project in the works where all of the Texas top shots are going to mm-hmm. come here to the villa, and we're gonna we're gonna put on an apple seed uh, demo, and then the top shots are going to put on a demo, a shooting demo, and we're gonna try and get folks to uh, suck in that way, and. Uh, there's no reason that uh, the rest of you guys can't do the same thing. Contact the Top Shot folks in your area, 
ask them, and, and the guys have all been real good about it. I mean, they're all real good about it. And, one, of course, one of the ways that we also help to help get them involved is that we're we're going to connect this with the Wounded Warrior Program. We're going to uh, have uh, uh, all the proceeds from the thing go to Wounded Warrior, and they're more than willing to get involved and help us with that. And at the same time, we're going to get folks to experience uh, a uh, an apple seed mini and, uh, and then sign them up right there on the spot to come to a full apple seed weekend, you know, that will be coming uh, right after that. So... <clears throat> That's going to be uh, that's one of the ways that you, you can talk to anybody. You can get anybody to do it. I don't know if you have to get a mohawk, but maybe that would work for you. Uh, I had one mohawk in my life, and that was in basic training. And my buddy, my buddy convinced me. He said, "Get a mohawk, man. It'll be hardcore." And so I did. I gave myself a mohawk with those, you know, the old-fashioned barber shears that you. They weren't uh, electric. You just kind of squeezed them and they cut the hair. I gave myself a mohawk with that in the mirror, and it, it wasn't real pretty. And uh, the next day, my drill sergeant, who was an American Samoan, this guy was an absolute hardcore killer. Anyway, he looked at me and he said, shave your stupid head. And uh, so I had to shave everything off because he said it looked stupid. <laughs> oh, man. My, my, my only mohawk. <laughs> well, the main, story, the main point of that story with the Mohawk is just to find a way to break the ice, find a way to make contact with people, and and uh, just as soon as they say hi, you know, go right into it. There's there's really no reason that you can't seven step every single person you meet. Right, and you know, at the beginning of the program, at the beginning of of the project, it was much harder, I think, than it is now. That's any consolation to anybody, because nobody had any kind of an idea what Appleseed was. Nobody did. And uh, it, I, I liken it, when I talk to this, the stories about it, I liken it to, uh, to, to back for me 30 years ago when I was in a band and we were in Austin and I was, you know, I would tell people, hey, I'm uh, I'm in a band. And they would just kind of laugh and go, yeah, so everybody's in a band here. And uh and in the beginning for Appleseed, it was kind of the same thing. We're a rifle marksmanship organization. And when you talk to anybody who was in the, uh, you know, the firearms culture, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. I've never heard of you. And everybody, everybody has some shooting club or something else or whatever. Now, it's not like that. When you talk to somebody, there's, there's, I won't say a real high percentage, but there's still a pretty good percentage, uh, a chance that you that they will have heard of Appleseed in some form or fashion. They'll have either seen a billboard or heard about it on a gun forum or seen a flyer, something that will precede your discussion with them about Appleseed, which means if once they've been exposed to it, they might, they're, they're, they're more willing because they've seen it and they go, yeah, 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 you know what, I, I saw that. I saw a billboard, but I didn't know what it was. What is it? What did, what did you guys do? And there you go. Now you've got a receptive audience, and they're ready to listen to what you have to say. So make sure that you have your elevator speech polished. Practice it. Practice it in the morning when you're shaving. Practice it when you're driving your car down the highway. That's what I did. I would practice it so that I don't have to sit there and uh, and go, uh, uh, because that's what I did in the beginning, uh, because I wasn't used to just talking to people off the cuff. And... I practiced it. I practiced what, what I was going to say. 
I practiced the way I was going to say it so that I could say it to somebody if I met them. And and that's what makes it easier. You know, you guys, whenever you tell the three-strike story, I bet the first time you told it, you, were, you weren't very uh, comfortable telling it, were you? Because you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. I don't know what I'm saying. I can't remember this or that. The second time was pretty close to the first time. The third time wasn't so bad. By the fourth and fifth time, you're like, I don't think I got the hang of this. And after you've told one of the stories uh, six or seven times, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. It's the same way with your elevator speech, and we're talking about Appleseed. The first couple of times, it may be a little bit uh, difficult or maybe make you uncomfortable. But if you keep doing it, it gets a lot easier. And listen, if all you have to do to help save the nation is feel a little bit uncomfortable talking with a stranger, count your blessings. Because there are thousands and thousands of people who came before you who had to suffer getting their legs and arms cut off while somebody held them down screaming without anesthetic with some guy with a dirty old nasty dull saw. That's what they had to do to make sure that their rights and liberties and freedoms were protected. If all you have to do is feel a little bit uncomfortable, count your blessings. So that's uh, that's, that's what I have to say about that. I hear you. Very good. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, there was a life where I didn't like talking to strangers. And uh, that's one thing that Appleseed has definitely solidified for me is the fact that you can walk right up to somebody, introduce yourself, and then start talking about what it means to be an American. And that's a great thing. Well, absolutely. And let me tell you right now, you're going to get, I can tell you without a doubt, you're going to get some people you talk to, you're going to get the same reaction from them talking about, uh, talking of making an offer to them to help preserve their rights and freedoms. You're going to get the same reaction you'd get if you were dressed in a dirty, nasty old fecal-stained uh, clothes and you're asking them for a dollar, you're going to get the same reaction from them. But a lot of people don't care. And when you do, man, let it rain off your back because that's meaningless, all right? It's meaningless. And what you got to do is you got to go to the next person. Because I tell you, I'm telling you, people want to hear this. They want to hear what you're saying. Some people won't. But don't let those people discourage you from doing it. All right? Don't let any don't let anybody stop you on your mission. Uh, you know, and, and and I really don't consider the promotions aspect any different than I consider uh, a a bayonet charge. You know, you know, to an enemy line. I can tell you this right now. That nobody, no one ever in the history of the world has ever been able to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat if they gave up, right? There's no way for the two to reconcile each other. So in order for you to achieve victory, you can't give up. You have to keep making that same bayonet charge. You have to keep making those same blind cold calls because what you're going to do is or what you'll find because I've found this and you're going to find it out too that that occasionally yeah you're going to have the folks who who tell you get away from me or or my fav one of my favorite turndowns was the guy who said yeah my son's a sniper in the Marine Corps so I don't need this now I just I definitely started giggling 
I never and knew the I Marine Corps had so many snipers. Yeah, well, I, I started giggling, and I think that that made the, the person feel angry, but I, I had to start giggling because I thought that, uh, that okay, that's, I don't know how this is going to help you, but okay, and, and I walked off. All right, you're going to get some of those. But you know what else you're going to get? You're going to get somebody who's not going to want to let you leave the gas pump. You're going to get somebody who's going to hang on your every word, and that makes the other 25 people, that makes it worthwhile. They're going to end up coming to an event. Why? Because you personally asked them to. Yep. So, and, I'm, and I'll also tell you guys, the shoot bosses and stuff, that uh, that if you want to get somebody, if you want to ask somebody to come to an event and you want to hand them a your card and say, look, if you come to an event, uh, you can be my guest. There will be no charge. That's, that's up to you. If you think that they'll come, and that they will come to the event, then it's well, it's worthwhile because we know, this is we know without a doubt, our number one way of getting folks to attend Appleseed is word of mouth. That means somebody that came to an Appleseed went and told somebody else to go, and they did because they trusted the word of the person who told them. That means if you, even if you comp somebody into an event, you're going to get that back. You're going to at least get your money back, if not doubled. So... <clears throat> So don't be afraid to do something like that, and uh, and don't be afraid to talk to. Uh, start off immediately around you. Don't be afraid to talk to your friends and relatives. You can perfect your elevator speech there, because they kind of have to listen to you. They can't drive off because either they're in your house or you're in their house, right? And uh, and they 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 listen to you and they come to an event. I know you may not think that they're uh, the the first person to ask, but I would ask them first. Uh, ask your ask your relatives if they want to come to an event, and then get them to come. Work out your elevator speech there, and then uh, and then take it on the road with you. Yep. All right. Uh, yeah, you put uh, uh, you put anybody magnets else on my Jeep. We were down in a few years ago, and you put some magnets on my Jeep, and they've been there till. Uh, just a few months ago, they finally faded to the point where you couldn't read what Appleseed was anymore. But I'd like to encourage anybody that's listening, uh, you don't necessarily have to put magnets on your personal vehicle or, or whatever, but simply wearing your T-shirt. When you wear your T-shirt to the store and that cashier asks you, are you really a Revolutionary War veteran? Then you can talk to them. <laughs> yeah, I bought some I mean, some Apple- of the really big door magnets from uh, Vistaprint, and I had them on my vehicle until they uh, until they faded to unreadable. But it was a really big door magnet, you know, like the companies have to put on their doors. I had those on my vehicle, and uh, and I got my money's worth out of them. Absolutely, yep. So that's something that even just uh, you know, you put a put a sticker on something that you have, or wear your T-shirt, or even your Appleseed hat, or whatever. People will ask about it. So don't be scared to put that Appleseed image out there. It's something that oval needs to be as recognizable as the uh, uh, the ribbon on the Coca-Cola. That's that's where we need to get. Exactly. And uh, I told the folks listening before that uh, that uh, that I was actually shocked uh, a little while back. Maybe it was last year. Maybe I'm not sure. But we were driving along in, uh, in here in Central Texas, and all the kids started yelling. And I go, "What's going on?" And he could have five daughters in the back, and they're all yelling. And he goes, that guy's a motorcycle. He's got an Appleseed T-shirt on. And, uh, nice. <laughs> so, 
it, it's coming. We're com- we're coming. And my point of all this was is that it's easier now than it was before. You're gonna get. You're gonna talk to some folks. You're gonna meet folks. who are gonna say, Yeah, I heard of that. Because I do all the time now. All the time, folks. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. So what is it? Give me the scoop on that. So they're just they're waiting for somebody to walk up and give them uh, the last few bits of information they need so that they can attend an event. All right, anybody else uh, got anything that they would like to get out before we knock off here? Yeah, um, yeah, um, going on, going on back, back to what you were saying, saying about the three strikes and how that's, um, 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 that that is a lot like what we were doing this this past couple of days. Um, just with with those strikes, um, if there's a big crowd of army vets, it's going to be different than if than if it's a big crowd of um um a big crowd of moms or soccer moms moms or people who don't know how to shoot shoot um and there are there are a lot of people um a lot of different kind of people that you're going to pitch apple seed to and so just like it's important to have a couple of different kinds of strikes um it's also um 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 it's also just as important to have a couple of different kinds of um of um of themselves that you're going to toss out to people about apple seed um because I'll tell you this past um 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 this past couple of days um there were some high name people very very high high name and high caliber people that I was able to talk to and and um well first of all they they had all heard of Appleseed, which I'm not sure how, but these are high cal- caliber and high name people who have heard of Appleseed, so that's an encouragement to us um but um but Telling telling them about what we do is a lot different than telling somebody at the booth. Um, right. So so it's so it's so it's so it's very important to um to um to um to um have have a couple different kinds of pitches um, because um, there were um, there was a person um, that I was able to talk to and she is um, a well-known person in the shooting industry and um 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 there was there was there was a certain play that i was um that i was going for with her and i believe it worked because i was able to play it um 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 um, um just that way so Absolutely. um practice a couple different um speeches in the mirror in the car um just like your strikes because it's um um um, because it is extremely similar to each other about the history and about how you're going to pitch apple seed to different people. The one thing that goldfish that you should probably mention with that particular contact is how many times previously you talked to that contact, and then also what she said to you once you came up to her at this event. Um, I had talked to her about three or four times before um, at places like like this, and um, I walked up to her. I believe it was on Saturday or Sunday, and. Um, and she saw my shirt, and she recognized who we are. Um, and 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 um, she also knew me from the past couple of years of talking with her and contacting her as well. 
So um, it works. It may take a couple times, but it, but, but, but it, but it, but it does work, and the contacts work. Well, you're you're absolutely right about having specific uh, uh, or different uh, spiels to give folks. Because yeah, if you're talking to a lay person and they're and they have no absolutely nothing about firearms, then you can't give them any type of uh, a bunch of specific data or anything like that. You got to talk to them about very generalized things, make them feel comfortable uh, about what you're going to show them, make them feel safe. Uh, if you're talking to somebody who is a uh, who is a hardcore shooter, stuff, then yeah, you can feel you can very easily jump over all that and go straight to uh, natural point of aim, inches, minutes, clicks. Here's what we're going to be showing you: building a uh, you know a steady shooting position, which is the basis from which everything else flows, and then uh, and talk to them about uh, about the, the about the rest of the stuff that we do in a, a much more uh, specific fashion, uh, and right. the same thing with uh, with women, or you know, if you're talking to kids or anything else, you you need to have some idea already pre-worked out before you talk to people. Because I can guarantee you, if you get in front of somebody and you don't, if you haven't thought about in advance what you're going to say, it's going to be rough. Uh, there have been several times, and the last time was at the Dallas Self-Reliance Expo when somebody uh, stuck a camera in my face and said, all right, I need you to uh, to talk about Appleseed, stuff like that. And uh, if you guys want to see the, the the results of this, you can go to, let's see, where is it? Uh, it's the Dallas Self-Reliance Expo.com uh, and uh, they have a virtual website there now, a virtual expo, so that you can, uh, they did this to all of the, uh, uh, all of the booths, and uh, you can see what happens if you're not completely prepared. Now, luckily, uh, I do have, uh, I've been doing it for long enough that I have a little bit, uh, I was able to put my spiel on and run with it, <clears throat> but it could just as easily have been the other way, which means that, uh, that I, I didn't, uh, that I wasn't ready. So make sure that you have uh, that you have some kind of a spiel ready, and make sure that you've thought about the, the different directions it can go, and think about what you would say to them. So you're absolutely right in that. Okay, guys, it's about uh, almost ten o'clock. Uh, anybody have a couple of uh, last-second things they want to get out? Fred, any last words from you? No, I've been sitting here enjoying the uh, conversation and uh, thinking uh, what a good job Goldfish is doing and what a good job Slim is doing and what a good job you're doing. Well, thank you very much. All right, guys, listen, uh, let me uh, repeat the same thing that Fred said because uh, you guys are doing a great job. And and what I, I would really like to – I would really like to hear – the results as they come in, because I know it's going to take a while, but the results from the NRA convention. And uh, and I hope that you guys are ready to pounce on uh, on anything that gets uh, that gets slid your way from this. And then I, I look forward to talking to you guys about uh, the upcoming uh, NRA convention here in Texas. So, 
and thanks for for what you've done. Thanks for calling tonight. And, and Fred, thank you. Uh, I'll start off with thank you for uh, for I guess sitting around with nothing to do other than uh, than look at big red birch stocks and deciding you needed uh, something else to do and starting the Appleseed Project and uh, because it's a big part of my life now and uh, oh. and thanks. Thanks for continuing to ramrod the program. Well, thank you for those sentiments, uh, but uh, they're 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 not needed. I don't, I don't do this program for thanks, as you as as you know. Right. Well, it doesn't matter. I can still say it if I want to. So thanks. By gosh, that's right. You're a free American. You can say it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys, and. Uh, Thanks to everybody who tuned into the show tonight and to everybody who's going to listen to this in the archives. We put another an extra hour in there, so this is a three-hour show tonight. And uh, and we look forward to hearing the after-action reports uh, from all of the events this next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. All right, thanks to all you guys who called in. Thanks to, uh, uh, to Swim and to uh, Goldfish and to, I believe it was... Uh, I can't remember now from Pontiac, and uh, and thanks to uh, the call screener who's been helping me, and uh, I'll see you guys uh, next Thursday, 7 p.m. Central. God bless you all, and uh, good night. Good night, guys. Good night. All right, take care. All righty. All righty.